<laughs> this is whoa, my volume is way. Hey there, Jake, coming down. <laughs> I even go a little lower. Hold on, just a little second. This is. I want to go a little lower than that. All right. This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me for the first time in person in a long time. Well, not in person. You're always around in person. <laughs> I realize I said that wrong. My first time recording in a while. My beautiful wife, Sierra, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hello. How's it going? Good. I'm excited to be on again. I fucking lured you in with an entire <laughs> month of content, three graphic designs, four interviews. You know, it worked out. You got me. Just for Jurassic Park. <laughs> you and I had actually a debate about this. If it wasn't going to be an alien movie yeah, or an outer space movie, Dude, dinosaurs got me. And well, that's I'm also luring you in with August because we have all alien content. Yes. I still haven't decided <laughs> on our shitty little pun name. I think I'm still thinking it's going to be Walk Amongst, which is a play on Walk Among Us, but you know, we'll see. But yeah, dinosaurs then aliens then a bunch of other stuff, but I am obsessed with dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a huge thrill to me when our daughter expressed any even fleeting interest in them. Was that a surprise to you? That she showed interest or yeah. that you jumped on it like it was what? <laughs> uh, that she showed interest first and foremost. No, it's interesting. I, I find that a lot of kids at this age show interest in dinosaurs. And I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know why. But it's not just our daughter. It's like uh, most of her friends who are the same age are showing similar interests. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's like one of the first creatures that goes, I, I'm thinking maybe it's like one of the first creatures that, um, I don't know that are, they're not familiar. They, they don't see, you know, but that's but, hard because you don't see leopard sharks. You don't see gorillas in the mist. And I think that kids conceptualize it. I, I've, I've never quite picked what it was. Cause obviously I saw dinosaurs before I saw dragons. Because I had just rewatched Dragon Slayer after I got my mm. balls cut off for you. Mm -hmm. You know that thing that I did? I actually just, before we, we did this, I took a potty break. And I have like a weird swelling that wasn't there earlier. So I'm kind of panicked. But like that dragon in that movie is so good. It's my favorite dragon in film, right? And then I'm like, in my mind, it's completely distinct from dinosaurs. And it, I don't know. It's so bizarre to me how we fixate. Yeah, it's really interesting. I get, you know... I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm also a huge fan of the Triassic creatures. You, know, you got your synapsids and and these more creatures, less dinosaurs. These are like these are like the dinosaurs for the dinosaurs, you know. And those creatures don't really get much play. Uh, you have like these weird hippopotami, and that's where you know Dimetrodon and some of these other ghouls come from. Uh, and so it, it's interesting. It's very specifically these things. <laughs> but our generation, lucky enough, we were six years old when old Mikey Kreitz. Uh, and Steven Spielberg team up to make Jurassic Park. Did it change your life? I don't remember the first time I saw this movie, but it for sure wasn't when I was six. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, unlike yourself, I... Well, see, for me, it's like I don't have many memories before Ninja Turtles, and I have you know just about as few, maybe a little bit more before Jurassic Park. I feel like it's... A, always part of my like conscious being is oh yeah <laughs> I, i've watched a, a ninja turtle that's anthropomorphic and then uh, i've seen a dinosaur shit the size of me that was pretty much my 
frames of reality. That's <laughs> well, that explains a lot. It really does. <laughs> and a lot about my self-worth, I think, now that I say it out loud. Um, have you ever read the book? No. Yeah. I have not. I read it when I was a kid. Oh, I tried to. I was talking with Joe from Much Ado About Nerding, and we're talking about how I tried to read the book at like age six. And I look at the pages and I'm like, oh, I, I know some of these words. And that's about where it stopped. But I remember being like desperately confused because I, I think I had tried to read it a couple times mm. because the beginning of the book is the beginning of the lost world with a little girl who gets eaten by the compies. Yes. And so I remember being like, what? <laughs> Did I pick up the wrong book? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, yeah, it didn't work out very well. I, this is one where Crichton's works. I, I got detoured. I was going to read it for this. And then uh, what is it? Dragon Tooth his one about the bone wars. And, <laughs> you know, it. yeah, I, I try too many things. But what's your favorite dinosaur in the film? In the in the first one? Yes. Um, Because you watch all of you watch the fucking cr Camp Cretaceous <laughs> and yeah, everything. Yeah. And I yes, I really love the series. The This is one of the film series that I will watch again and again. You know, Emperor's New Groove. The Mummy and Jurassic Park are yeah. pretty much my go-tos. I'd rather watch The Mummy than Indiana Jones. I mean, there's so many films where I think that, like, I've, I have never stayed awake through the last Harry Potter or the last Mummy movie. I just can't do it. But, I mean, Mummy and Scorpion King, I think, are delightful. Keep yawning. You sure you want to do this? <laughs> no. We're five I'm, minutes in. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> It's because of the two pterodactyls you chase around all goddamn day. That's right. My favorite dinosaur from this film, as far as, it, I mean, there's favorite for, for different reasons, I guess. The sheer shock factor of like seeing the dinosaur for the first time, you know, kind of creeping out is the T-Rex. Yeah. I just think the way it moved, the way it looked... The, just the fear it invoked. Well, that's a cheating thing with Jaws, right? Jaws, it's underwater half the time. You don't see the whole creature. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a tremendous amount of time. We, we've timed it when we watched that movie last time when mm. you jumped out, you know, oh, God, because it's so such a build. Right. And so for this, you get that build. Spielberg does that. You know, it's the hints of the T-Rex. It's the fingers on the... oh. This is an electric no-mo. Yeah. And then it's the whole thing. But then it goes. It it, it doesn't bridge. It bridges beyond. Like, I would compare Jaws. Jaws, like, sticks its head up to the electrified fence. <laughs> right. and It's like, fuck y'all. But the T-Rex is like, fuck y'all, fuck y'all. And goes over it. And when I saw, I remember being a kid and seeing that and the gravity of it. I mean, the fact that I ever found another dinosaur I loved as much as the T-Rex was crazy. Because it's just, <laughs> it's the hero of the movie. Right. Well, it's, and it's the anti-hero. Right, right. It's the bad boy. It's James fucking Dean. That's why we love it so much. Right? At first, he's, you know, scary. And then you realize, oh, this guy's cool. He's just a little cranky. So funny enough, I was thinking about James Dean today just because I had read an article about the Griffith Observatory. Anywho. Where his little bust is. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I've picked that bust's nose many times. <laughs> With you, we've hiked that. Yes. There you go, California listeners. If you are there and I'm not recovering from testicular surgery, I might be hiking that trail and I might be picking a statue's nose. So getting say hi. some strawberry rhubarb pie. Yeah, at the trails. And then you say, give me a fucking button and I'll give you a button from the show. 
You remember that from Midsummer Scream two years ago before yes. the world ended? Yes. Uh, I would, there's still buttons on that backpack. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anywho. There are buttons that I have. I know that there are people who have that button and they're proudly wearing it and have never listened to the show. <laughs> which I just amazing. <laughs> oh, shout out to whatever listener wore our shirt to Disneyland. My, oh, nice. Our, our cousin-in-law was like, I saw a slasher oh, shirt here. And I was like, fuck yes. And then I accused it of being her and she sent me a picture. It wasn't. So. <laughs> How funny. Yeah. And they know my designs because they've, they've bought our shirts. That's pretty cool. That's crazy. Also, shameless plug, two new dinosaurs, <laughs> no, three new dinosaur shirts. And I animated a thing that that shows you how much I love my goddamn dinosaurs. <laughs> but oh, yeah, going back to the T-Rex. Sorry, this is going to be just a weird episode because what hasn't been said about Jurassic Park? Yeah. That's why we were so reluctant to even do like Ghostbusters and stuff because it's like everybody's done it. So this is one where I am willing to extrapolate a bit beyond simply saying, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, the here's the stab to sticks, because I think a lot of our human expression and our impressions of it is really what's important to you, our listeners, because you've seen it. And everybody knows like the plexiglass in the van wasn't supposed to break. And that's a real scare. And blah, blah. Ian Malcolm dies in the book, but doesn't die in the movie, which inspires him to not die in the second book. Like we get it. We've we've seen these things. But the original ending had the T-Rex dying inside of a T-Rex skeleton. That's a little meta for me. <laughs> we just watched Loki try and fuck himself and a T-Rex <laughs> getting killed by a T-Rex. That's itself is weird. Yes. Uh, yes, that would be a little odd and morbid. Let me considering ask considering that. Children do watch this movie. Oh. Um, is the Cretaceous embodiment of death with its scythe and its hood? Is it a T-Rex skeleton? No. The Grim Reaper. You get what I'm saying? Is the Grim Reaper a dinosaur? Back in the Cretaceous period. <laughs> I'm saying that the, the Grim Reaper is kind of like Bowie. He has a new generation each time. He has like a new Like Santa thing. Claus. There, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Never in our lives could we talk about that movie without making that reference. Uh, I don't think that he is a dinosaur, but that's just, you know, my personal opinion. A T-Rex skeleton. Sorry. That's what you were saying, right? Well, back then, I don't expect our Grim Reaper to be. No, I... Our Grim Reaper is clearly the guy from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I work out all the time. I still think it's that. Yeah. He's just timeless. He's so good. <laughs> Honestly, like the grim adventures of Billy and Mandy entertains me only insofar as it reminds me of Bill and Ted. Let's keep going. I was surprised to learn that Jurassic Park, the ride, had started development before the film started filming. And it cost more than the damn movie. Did you know that? I did not know that. But it does make sense in that people, you know, write it. <laughs> that are beyond actors that are being paid to risk their lives. Yeah. And I feel like it's going to be a lot uh, while you can uh, press play unlimited times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the wear and tear on a ride is probably more significant than your DVD player <laughs> Yeah, or VHS probably at the time, but DVD. We had, we had, oh, for we, sure. We, I, had, I, I We pulled out the DVD player to watch this again. Even though I think we have it on Voodoo, we have, I mean, yeah, this is a movie I've had in basically every media it's been available for. But my grandmother took me on opening day to Universal Studios and I got to be part of the crowd. And that was like a really special thing to me because it was like obviously tedious, right? Like 
My mom had taken me to the Indiana Jones one. Um, huge to do. Trillions of people. Yes. Not hospitable temperature. No. But the fact that she took me was like, this is a gift because you've actually read a book, kid. And uh, well, she didn't know that I didn't understand any of the words. Thank you, Michael Kreitz. Now, uh, <laughs> how long do you think it was in theaters? Just taking a guess because I have no idea. No. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is either going to go one of two ways, which it normally does. Is it was very, either a really long time or a very short time. So I'm going to go with short. What? Oh, no. Come on. Price is right. I'm gonna, I'll give you the, the three numbers that are in the number and you arrange them. Seven, four, and nine. <sighs> 497 fucking days over a full calendar year. The highest grossing film of all time at the time it came out until <laughs> was it was like, unthroned. Nine years, four months, and seven days. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's crazy. This film revolved the sun in theaters. Yeah, that is crazy. Revolved? Did I do it right? Revolution. <laughs> Planet around sun. Revolution? Yeah, okay. I was right. You looked at me like I said it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So in order to do this film, you got Stevie Spiels, who's like, hey, man, I really want to do this movie about Nazis and killing people and little people. I mean, it's just sad shit. And I also want to do this dinosaur movie because I met this dude when we were doing a project that ended up becoming ER. And he was like, hey, yo, bro, I'm totes going to be doing this. Like, I don't think enough people talk about this talking point. Have you all seen Westworld? Yule Brenner, Westworld. This is just dinosaur Westworld, but I'm <laughs> fine with that. But anyway, Spielberg I haven't heard that comparison before, so I'm okay with have that. Have I made you watch the original movie? I think I yes. have. Yeah. Yes. It's a good movie. <laughs> and when Josh Brolin's dad <laughs> dies and you're like, what the fuck? You're supposed to be the hero. And it's the weird dude who looks like Pedro Pascal. And you're like, you're the hero. That's a great movie. The show's good. Our friend Jennifer Espinal does the makeup effects. You should listen to that episode. Hey, yo. Let's keep going. But he he buys the rights before the book's even out. That's allegedly the story. There's talks about like there being like a bidding war and James Cameron wanted to do one. But Cameron's been like, no, it's probably a good thing I didn't do it because it'd be so fucking brutal. You wouldn't be able to handle it. You just, <laughs> you just shit a bucket of blood. He said that. Wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, the guy's like, cat people's ponytails. Fuck uh, that guy. Nothing. Not even a chuckle from <laughs> no. cat people ponytails. Fuck. I'm going to make no. a shirt out of that. How about that? Oh, please don't. So Spielberg ends up leaving post-production to go work on Schindler's List. And then George Lucas comes in and it does a bunch of stuff, which is crazy to think that George Lucas, for being largely a creative hack, is, has had a finger or two in some of the most amazing things in the world. Most notably, Willow, obviously. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Gotcha. Do you know much about the writing of the film? I do not. Okay. The adaptation was by David Koeep. And I read a bunch of stuff, basically his tone. And every, he was very deliberate in making it cinematic, right? Like Dr. Grant was much more affable to children than the other one. Tim is older and Lex is younger. And, in the you know, book. Yeah. And then he mm. he's the computer one. And just creating these dynamics so that every character can grow a bit, I think, is really cool. And you see yeah, that. I like that he made the female the computer whiz. Because at that time, I'm sure that probably wasn't the norm. Oh, for sure. Even today. 
Well, and then even more so, look at Laura Dern. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Grant becomes the mama bird, and she's like the raptor out there like, Kadoosh! <laughs> limping for no reason. I still don't understand it. We watched it, and I slowed it down. I'm like, why are you limping? There's no wound. But, you know, there's stuff that goes into even the character, like the presentation of them. You got Malcolm in black and the, you know, the rich Attenborough motherfucker who hadn't acted in a, over a decade, yeah. who who beat Spielberg uh, for best director. And, uh, you know, he's wearing white. You got Grant wearing blue at the beginning and Dern wearing pink with a blue undershirt. By the end of the film, she loses the pink overshirt and she's wearing blue, which is to say that she has the penis in the relationship now. Did you catch that? No, I did not catch any of these That's things. That's the great thing about a, a brilliant movie that is timeless and hugely successful. They're a bunch of idiots like me pontificating endlessly on the <laughs> Internet. Being like, this is very deliberate. But this guy, I will, the guy who wrote it, David Coeep. Did a bunch of stuff. He all, he did abominations like Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and Zathura. But he did other things that were great, like The Mummy. Yes. Wrong. He did the one with Tom Cruise, and it sucked, and he deserves to be caned in the streets. But he did... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, that one was yeah. pretty terrible. But he did Carlito's Way, and he did The Shadow, which I like, and Mission Impossible. So he did have stuff no, that like he did. Mission Impossible. Fun. Yeah. So, you know, he did Stir of Echoes, which I still hold is better than The Sixth Sense. Mm. So look at this little fancy boy with his britches. But uh, one of the things I got to, th this is why you don't watch a movie I love with me. <laughs> yes. Right? Because the first night you fell asleep and the second <laughs> night I, I had done a little bit of research and was like reminded of a bunch of things that I had researched a thousand times. And I was like, oh, this is this. And you're like, oh, did uh -huh. you know? <laughs> Have you ever heard? Did you read this? I was doing this. Uh, Mr. DNA. <laughs> is a MacGuffin and I love it. It's literally this dude and Steven Spielberg being like, how do we explain DNA to fucking yokels in Missouri? And he's like, what are we going to have a character named Mr. DNA? <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> explain it to me like I'm a dumb monkey with crossed eyeballs. What I really loved going back to the writing of the original work I was listening to some interviews with Mikey Kreitz because it's what I do. I go way far from what I'm supposed to be doing. For this episode, I'm supposed to be watching one movie because, and I have to get a tremendous amount of information out in a short amount of time because we have our interview with Dinosaurs Will Always Be Awesome coming up in just a short while. And instead, I'm watching interviews that he did where he's talking about man's ecological footprint. And it's amazing to me to see, like, he was so forward thinking. Would you care to hear about? the cautionary tale beyond Jurassic Park. Oh, sure. So he's basically like your Ian Malcolm in this scenario. He's okay. like very aware. He's very intelligent, but he's also like, this is fucking stupid. Like, don't do this. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Exactly. No moss. And so he talks about like the ecological impact of people doing, he gave the example of like square lumber because it'd be easier to stack mm. or like lighter trout. So it's easier to fish and basically man playing God. And so what better way to you know, espouse that than literally a hedonistic thing where it's just capitalism, it's just consumerism. The, the consumerism's a bit more heavy-handed in the book. It's not as cheeky as I spared no expense on the ice cream. Right, it's right. It's more like I don't give a fuck if I'm putting my grandchildren in harm's way. I'm going to get this park made because I'm going to make a buttload of money. Hmm. What do you think about that? In comparison to like the movie? Or what do you mean? Just his ideas. Anything. 
I was literally just throwing it up to you because I realized that you, you don't take, you don't have talking points. So I don't just Sorry. do what you want to do. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to time it. I want you to talk for one minute straight about the film and go. I think this is a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> you made it three seconds and then laughed at yourself awkwardly. Yes, I, I do that often. I, I know. Think. <laughs> it's great. I love editing our episodes because I'm like, you just didn't have an end. So you you just laughed and then stopped talking. And I'm like, oh, it's my turn now. Also, you talk very fast. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the times I'm like, what's he saying again? <laughs> well, I did an ad for one of our shirts and uh, I thought that it was too slow. I, I, he even had a moment of hesitation because I referred, I like, if you look, I like kind of wince when I refer to Goosebumps novels because it's not a novel, but like, I know that some people would characterize it as such. It's maybe a novella. Children would yeah, you know? And, <laughs> and so somebody commented like, I don't know if you talk fast enough. And I was like, got it. Uh, loud and clear. <laughs> the one indulgence I have is stimulants in the form of caffeine. So, yeah. I, I fear that if I smoked weed, it would be like, remember the movie Hoodwinked? No. You never saw Hoodwinked? I don't Hoodwinked? think I've seen it. Oh, it's delightfully bad. But there's that squirrel that's like speaks and it just squeaks, right? And so they record it and they slow it down and they play it back. And he's like, no, you have to go over here. And he's like looking at the tape recorder like, what is this? Okay. The criminal you're looking for cannot be found at the bottom of the mountain. Mm? He resides at the top in a cave fortress where my companions are trying to detain him. <laughs> it's was it's, it animated? Yeah, it's got your boy uh, David Warburton, who's uh, Kronk. No, I don't. I don't remember that at all. Well, uh, we should watch it. It's not that it's good. It came out kind of around the Shrek time, and people were like, "Oh, mm. fantasy and Patrick Warburton." Said David. I, I, as soon as it left the tip of my tongue, I was like, that tasted bad. I'm going to correct myself so that nobody gives me a, a comment, specifically Patrick Warburton, who's a big <laughs> fan of the show. Big fan. Never want to hurt his feelings. Big fan. Top tier Patreon subscriber. Special effects. Stan butt fucking Winston. You're like, eh? The Terminator. The Predator. The Monster Squad. But at this point in his career, he's like old and like, I just walk through my fucking warehouse and i'm like hey that looks nice things yeah exactly (laughs) i I did that yeah that'll work (laughs) well he's got like underlings right it's kind of like on face off the old cranky man is like yeah this is nice i'm not actually gonna sculpt nothing but that's cool that you did uh we had michael lantieri who did a lot of the cg and like making sure things strung together like when the raptor is thrown by the t-rex and it hits something else stringing all that together and planning it we have Phil Tippett, who did Ed 209. I uh, worked on a bunch of other things, Return of the Jedi. He was an Academy Award winning visual effects artist. And this is hugely important to me. This movie, you ever you see people who try and imitate, and it's always cheap, right? It reminds me of multiplicity. When you make the clone of the clone, he's a little iffy. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right, right. And so this movie is is good. And people tried to recreate it. And I think that's the pitfall of movies that would come later, like Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. Carnotaurus or whatever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Carnosaur, Carnosaur comes Carnosaur. before this movie. Sorry. I'll have you know. And the book came first as well. <laughs> so also, I'm saying it now. I've already committed to this with the other co-hosts. We're going to do this. 
if our Carnosaur episode gets a thousand downloads, I am going to record an audiobook of Carnosaur because I know nobody will read it otherwise. You're going to just read it? I will read it. Oh, wow. I will put that out. So I, if a thousand downloads, it's not even that much, but come on, guys. But anyway, Phil Tippett, hugely important in my life. You know how much I love RoboCop. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, obsessed. literally was sitting on our bed last night. Yeah. I was like, did he take a picture of this for himself? So, so he can like fantasize it about that. my three novels. Yeah. yeah Cause I have the, the picture compendium so, oh, yeah, and the two novelizations. So it wasn't just one. It was three. Yeah. Not including my comics and my other stuff that I have, but whatever. Neither here nor there. Uh, also, I referenced Joe earlier. I'm going to reference Joe again. He got gave us as a gift to the podcast some RoboCop comics many moons ago. So thank you for that. And, uh, you know, so anyway, Phil Tippett, I love, you know, you've seen me get excited every time we watch Monsters, Inc. with the chubby kids when they talk about Harryhausen's. I love Ray Harryhausen. I, I love stop motion. I love go motion. I love all of it. I think the practical effects are just scintillating. So they show him some of the footage of the CGI. And Steven Spielberg says, like, hey, what do you think? He says, I think I'm extinct. And Spielberg loved that ideology so much, he actually incorporated it in dialogue between Malcolm and Grant. And I think that's just, uh, that's beautiful life imitating art, right? Absolutely. And it fits so well. I mean, truly, that's uh, something that's quoted often Mm -hmm. from the movie. And I don't think people realize where that came from, Uh, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like an offhanded remark. And I think that's some of the most like intimate and interesting things that are said. That's one of the reasons I love human interaction and conversation. One of the reasons I love improv, the beauty of like the ephemeral thing of like it's fleeting. It's just there, but it's kind of like a a very deep truth. Mm. It's not like Tippett had went out and did like five open mic nights to get that very succinct phrase. Right, right, right. right. It's just this kind of off the cuff comment that I think is huge. And even, you know, we still use weird turns of phrase. Like I was talking to you about filming this episode. I don't fucking film. <laughs> I don't even know where I would find film. Right. I yeah. I wish that we did. But I mean, not really, because I don't want to film myself yeah, for sure. at, at sweating in our garage. Our garage studio you have to add that so we don't sound as janky as we are if you want us to upgrade from sweaty garage to studio to like living room or 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 even garden shed with an air conditioner patreon.com slash slashes pod anyway we also had dennis um murin he was working with ilm one guy who i have to talk about is adam scott adam scott was a creature effects guy who almost was killed by the t-rex Oh, interesting. It was gluing shit inside of it and the power goes out, which means the hydraulics go out, which means it goes it into its resting position yes. and almost split him in half. Oh, that's awful. But he lived and he was fine. What do you mean fine? Like, he I mean, traumatized, but he's fine. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. I would like to hear more. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The fact that he didn't Wait, die. Were there any uh, like injuries or none that I saw? Well, that's good. He was like wedged to the side and just like foam latex I'm just like, kind of moved help, around. Help me. And that, sorry, that reminded me of something else earlier when we were talking about Jurassic Park The Ride is people don't really think about this very often when it comes to film. Everything is, is single use. You know, you watch The Howling, that werewolf doesn't have to come back, right? right? But you think of the dinosaur effects on Jurassic Park The Ride. Those things are out in the elements. They're out yeah. every day. That flex. It's a completely different ballgame. Absolutely. And so when you think about like this T-Rex, 
this T-Rex only had to work on the day and it only had to work from certain angles. And if it didn't, you could still CG it. Half the time they're filming, it's a fucking guy with a stick that has a picture of a T-Rex at the end of it. <laughs> Steven Spielberg is doing the fucking noises through a bullhorn. like, Aah! And so <laughs> when it comes to you comparing you know, the issues that Spielberg has with Bruce the shark from Jaws and the T-Rex from this, they're a little cute kind of symmetry there when it comes to like water being a problem because there was right. a, a hurricane or typhoon or whatever you want to call it. And it caused like drooping on the T-Rex. It got so heavy. But aside from that, things went pretty well. I, I mean, you'd hope that they learned from the previous. Yeah. Let's not put a robot issues. in the water. That's the reason why with all of the terrible retreads and sequels of Terminator, they haven't done Terminator under the sea. There you go. Sarah Connor, I, it's better down where it's wetter. That's Take that from me. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you for doing that. I was going to start singing, but obviously um, my improv skills are not as... <laughs> Please do start singing. Oh, no, no. I was just going to sing the Little Mermaid song and not change the words to fit. So oh, okay. good job. There we go. <laughs> I'm the Wayne impressed. Brady of the show. Love, yes. <laughs> now, the uh, dinosaur expert Jack Horner, who was the real life inspiration of Grant, was actually in the production element. He encouraged Steven Spielberg to do feathered dinosaurs. Mm. And that was science at the time. Mm. A lot of people kind of get it twisted that like, oh, that wasn't widely. It was not like as concrete as it is now. Right. But it was certainly a, a well thought out theory. I mean, there's there's tons of literature on it. And so Horner was like, yeah, these these should have feathers. Right. And and being perfectly frank, and I've talked about this, and if you hear this in uh, more of the interviews we do this month, it's because I'm, I'm very passionate about this. Really, the Velociraptor in this is a Deinonychus. It's not a Velociraptor. But luckily, during filming, they find the Utah Raptor, which is about the same size, though the Utah Raptor would have been feathered. But can you imagine having to put feathers on that? Like, <laughs> oh, it's not possible for CG at that time. Oh, right. I, mean, I think it would have looked terrible. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Well, like, if, even if you look at Monsters Inc., that was revolutionary. Like, I remember seeing that as a kid. And when Sully runs and turns mm. that corner and his fur sways, I remember being blown the fuck away. Yeah. Because I had watched, I mean, I'm, I'm huge, a huge fan of Beast Wars. Funny enough, Jimmy from Dinosaurs Will Always Be Ops Awesome, who we're about to talk to. I've, he and I have expressed this love that we've had. And on that show, it's computer animated. Cheetor is supposed to be a <laughs> cheetah. Rat Trap is supposed to be a rat. Optimus right, right. Primal is supposed to be a gorilla. They don't look like no. that. I mean, they don't have any fur no, at all. plastic. It looks... Yeah. yeah. It looks like they were dipped in plasticine and then like laminated after that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think that feathered dinosaurs, I'd really want to see that in a modern rendition. Like, I think that could be fucking terrifying. I'm trying to think of the if there's anything similar or out there with dinosaurs that have been, I mean, recent enough. I just not that's animate, you know, that's not animated. Well, I, I think that when it comes to the new Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, they're exploring the the gap, the amphibious DNA. Mm -hmm. Basically, they're showing these weren't dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. These are just pretend. This is all pretend. Mm -hmm. and it's all for nefarious purposes. And right, stuff. right. It, it's pretty interesting. But I would love to see just something a little bit more 
in line. Maybe even like footage, like how fun would it be if they're going through like archival footage of like, oh, here's where we we fucked up because we tried to make the Velociraptor photo accurate and people didn't like it because they're doing market research. Because mm. we're also, we're a bit more cynical. It's a post 9-11 world. We're more cynical now. So I think if you broke the fourth wall a little bit, we're like, yeah, market research and trends and you know, yeah. focus groups and these people didn't like it. So we didn't do it. I think that would go over really well. I agree. And it could be another scene for B.D. Wong, who I love. <laughs> plays a great drag queen. I don't remember what it is, but he plays a great. That's awesome. Uh, Robert Backer, who Tim talks about, also did consultation for the film. Paleontologist. The book. Yes. <laughs> that thick book. Couldn't put it down, girl. Uh, anyway, it, actually, funny enough, in uh, hey, the intro to his down. 1995 <laughs> you novel, still have the week. <laughs> yeah, Raptor Red, he complimented the filmmakers. And, you know, people want to be smarmy and look down their nose. You know, we're, we have an interview coming up this month with Your Dinosaurs Are Wrong. And what I love about that content and that channel is he's clarifying, but he's it's never a condemnation of like, you're you're bad and you should feel bad. Right. It's like, we've learned or it's like, well, it's a toy. The research so it has, has changed. So, right. Yeah. And so, uh, Backer's saying like, these people cared. Like, these weren't paleontologists. These are creature effects people. These are, you know, people using a silicon graphics workstation mm. and they're creating something and they were desperately wanting to do it right. And to even have it, I mean, think about how many people their love of paleontology starts at this film. So yeah, it's not accurate, but it's such a good starting off point. And it's so much better than like the lost world, the original or planet of the dinosaurs or so many of these other things where it was just these lumbering stop motion creatures. So right. you'll, you won't hear me say an unkind word about the inaccuracies of this film. Like I, I give it a complete pass because you know, th this I mean, you tried. Yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, it's not as though, like, we're about to get in the Carnosaur series. That's the next episode that we're recording. And it's the entire franchise. So I've watched five of those films. Those people don't care about dinosaurs. <laughs> right. They don't. Like, I can tell you plainly, they didn't even care about the movie they were making. <laughs> they cared about the money they were going to get if they got paid from Roger Corman at all. But this is like, you see it and it's innovative and it's trying its best. And it, just delightful. Delightful. Dilophosaurus. That's a badass dinosaur. A lot of people don't give it credit. In this film, you never see it actually walk. There's a deceptive thing where you see it bounce because they could never get the puppetry right for it to like walk. Right. And then no it's evidence. Like of, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so cute, right? Super cute. No evidence of venom glands, no evidence of frill. You know, I was going to say that that was my favorite dinosaur, but I knew you were going to be like, it actually doesn't have. Well, I don't mind it. I I wish that it was bigger because I I like the Dilophosaurus that you know you see in in like paleontological works because it is a very imposing dinosaur. Yes, and really the Dilo. It's speaking of its double crested head, and there's some people who think the frills on the head were way bigger because it's a keratin uh, horn mm -hmm. or frill. Mm -hmm. So think of like a toucan's beak. Like it's it's not something where it's like a bone, right? right. So we know them to be rather large. But it would logically follow they would be larger and then through deterioration and erosion, they would get smaller. So these things could even be like double mohawk, almost, almost a Rufio triple mohawk. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, another Spielberg classic. But I love this dinosaur and it's so fun. And I think that this is this is your jaws for this movie. It didn't work and it worked better because it didn't work because mm -hmm. the cheekiness of like, right. hey, how you going? 
and like just being there. Well, I like, I mean, I, I like that it was curious. You know, that's how it came off to me. Yeah. Not, you know, like not just a prop for comedy. You know, it was, it just, I think it added to this being the first time that these dinosaurs are encountering humans too. Yeah. You know, outside the lab, I guess. So naturally, I feel like they would be curious about, oh, what what's this person doing? Like, what is it doing here? So I, I really liked the way that it filmed it and that even though it wasn't working properly, that it added something to the film. And I, I, like I said, it's, it was that dinosaur and T-Rex came to mind when you were asked about my favorites. Yeah. I don't know many people who like the Raptors best because I think maybe just like the, the depiction of them kind of being the bad guy. Mm. I think people are actively rooting against them, but I mean, those, they have really great effects moments and they stuff. They do. Really fun. The fact that they're outsmarted by children kind of weakens them a little bit. (laughs) But also, like, I think one of the reasons I really enjoy the Dilophosaurus is... They were in a kitchen. I mean, you can't, like... Oh, I saw a great uh, theory that the reason that the freezer door was open is because the grandpa with his ice cream, it was so despondent that his grandkids were dead (laughs) and the power was out. He didn't care. So he like, walked out and started eating the ice cream, even though I pointed out to you that the ceiling fans are on. So obviously there's power. But that's the reason that the freezer door was open. So that's how Tim was able to trick it. And I was like, see, people dissect everything. There's nothing left to talk about with this movie. Going back to the Dilophosaurus, it had three heads, which I think is, is cute because it had one for each purpose. You know, it's one for each day of the week. Yep. What, what is that? Uh, a song for every season and a head for every scene. Now, we'll move on. One of the hardest effects of this film is the ripples in the water. Would you believe that? Uh, In the cups? Yeah. Which the ripples happen in the footprint. And I thought that would be way harder. But everything I saw and read was like, oh, getting it in the cup was so hard. And they had to use a guitar string. They were struggling. You know, getting the rear view window to work is great because you just put a little motor on it and and it's fine. But this, I was like, wow, really? But apparently so. Interesting. Yeah. I I mean, I teach kids about sound waves, so I feel like could have just turned up a radio pretty loud hey. and right. Well, funny enough, Something. turning up the radio loud is how Spielberg came up with it. He and the music he was listening to is a band that you and I have seen in concert, <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire. There you go. You think I would say Black Keys, the band that wouldn't be formed for another several years? No. Let me see, Black Keys. They were formed in 2001, so it wouldn't be another eight years. It's crazy thing they've been a band for 20 years. I feel old as fuck right now. I was like, when did we see them? Like, we saw them like seven years ago. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I have tons of notes, but at this point, I mean, I just kind of want to talk about what we love about it. Is that if that's okay with you? I close the laptop. Do you have that sense? Oh, here's a good one. Sierra, (laughs) pop quiz. What's my favorite video on the internet of all time? Melodica playing the theme song for this movie. Yep. The the classic theme when Dr. Grant, they do move in herds and it pans over and you have the sweeping John Williams score. And I actually bought a Melodica because I love it so much. Uh, <laughs> it is sitting in our garage. Yeah, I play it. I played it with Doug. <laughs> anyway, the... Uh, can yeah, you I play it. <laughs> All the time. Can you think of another scene that instills a sense of wonder in you in any kind of film 
any genre as much as Dr. Grant looking at dinosaurs for the first time? The only thing that I could think would be like something space related, like, you know, seeing something for the first time, but I can't, and off the top of my head, I don't, I can't recall like a specific scene or a specific movie. Um, well, don't feel bad because it's I've, I think I purposefully kind of stacked the deck against you. It was, almost, it was like a borderline rhetorical question to me because it's like nothing has ever come close to that to me in a movie like books and stuff like that. Right. Uh, also, not I mean, just you were saying like the wonderment of him seeing the dinosaurs for the first time. I, I I'm going to add to that and just say like also just the affection, I guess. Yeah. You would see from for creatures that they were already in love with. Right. That's why they had it as a career. Obviously you don't become a paleontologist for the money nowadays, you know, maybe back when they were having bone wars and things like that. But even that was view. I mean, there's a lot of like, it's very true and real racial prejudice when it comes to the paleontological community at a core level, because for so many early paleontologists, they were already independently wealthy, and this was right. like an endeavor. You couldn't have a, a, a poorer minority come in and try and do these things unless it was like grunt labor or purposefully sabotaging your opponent's dig site with dynamite, as we've seen. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I just I think that was a really amazing filming decision yep. to have that. He was just like a kid again. You the know, scene with the and, Triceratops is beautiful. Yes. Like, I, there's no better word for it. It's it's not cute. It, I mean, it is it is truly like a beautiful idea to imagine. Imagine if you love something in theory and somebody was like, oh, and by the way, three dimensions. Yeah. I couldn't rationalize something that. Something that you would never would have thought you would see in your life ever. Yeah. And knowing, I mean, truly knowing that that was just not possible. Yeah. And he even says it. That it was his favorite as a kid, mm-hmm. which I think is beautiful because he ends up carrying a raptor's talon with him at all times and stuff, right? Right. And he even like throws that away at a certain point, which I think is very much of the maturation of the character as he's becoming this paternal figure. And that's a very interesting scene with with Tim and Lex. But by all points, he goes to the one that was his childhood fixation and he becomes a child. Mm-hmm. And then he spends the movie with children. And, and it just works really well. I mean, and also, like, let's talk about it. A strange man with two kids who he doesn't want to be around. That could get really creepy really fast. <laughs> yes. It, you cracked me up when you're just like, why is she holding his hand? That's not appropriate. That's weird. <laughs> well, she also she's clearly fucking with him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lex is a great character. She, You know how she got the part? She uh, so apparently Steven Spielberg is watching the footage of her audition and her scream was so good that Steven Spielberg's wife came in from the other room because she thought that it was real and she thought that something was wrong. Hmm. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. See, I got all these. I, got, I think I had heard that one. But Oh, did you? But I can't remember. I hear so many screams from so many of your movies. I was like, was it this movie? Or I yeah. thought there was another one that an actress had gotten. It's happened before. Yeah, I can't remember what movie it was for. But anyway, um, it was uh, not this movie. I just can't remember which one it was. Let's go through it briefly. The characters, 
No character annoys me. Wayne Knight annoys me the perfect way. Samuel L. Jackson is so good and so effective at being this guy who's so put out by everything. I wish that you saw his death on screen personally, but I digress. Muldoon's great. Every supporting character. I mean, that, that it is a very tight film because, again, you get to some kind of tropey stuff with some of these characters, but they're done very well and then nobody really stays there welcome too far. Right. I was going to say, I think that I always say his name wrong. Nedry. Yep. One more scene with Nedry. I'd be like, nope. No yes. More. I completely agree with you. I like that you said they don't like overstay their welcome because if he would have been in the film longer, yeah. I don't like I'm over it. But it was perfect. Well, and then you, with Muldoon, you know, the, the clever girl guy. What I love about him is he's your wharf for your Star Trek Gen- mm-hmm. Next Generation fans. Like, he's the guy who's the badass who signals how fucked everybody is. Right. And what's great about... he dies. Yeah. He knows them. Right. He knows how afraid he should be. Right. He's the one who says that he should... You should kill all the raptors because they're too scary. And then you got Laura Dern limping for no reason. She's (laughs) supposed to fight him off. And children, they're supposed to fight (laughs) him off. Right. right? Uh, And that's that's a a great scene. And what's good... I mean, he dies. If he lives, then it's not as scary. Right. I don't don't mind Ian Malcolm living. In fact, I, I do find the scene of him being, you know, comedic, like drive faster, drive faster. Like it's cute. You know, it's, it's a nice bit of levity. I feel like a lot of Marvel's humor kind of, and sensibility comes out of this kind of film. I feel like John Favreau was like, how do I make Jurassic Park with a guy in gold and red armor? <laughs> yeah. So then we go to the creature effects, creature effects. Good. Anything janky that sticks out? We're like, Ugh. I mean, the frill on the. <laughs> you know you can kind of yeah. that was not high def did not do that favors no it's like windshield wipers like fuck yeah i would just say that really and then maybe the birds flying at the end i just felt like like i know that's just supposed to be like a beautiful moment they're yeah. just like well, they're still supposed to be pterodactyls at one point still in wonder of these yeah you know beautiful creatures that are now I don't know, escaping the island. <laughs> but I was like, meh. Well, they're also birds, right. which is what a dinosaur is. So yeah. the idea of like, look at the, well, the, for lack of a better term, the pussification of the dinosaurs. <laughs> They'll eventually become pelicans that die on soda can pack holder things. But the one thing that I take away is the tails. Tails are so bad. They're all like really awkwardly rigid at the tip. Well, but that I'm fine with it because if you think of like the actual biomechanics of tails, very often it's a stabilizer. So it's, you know, that, uh, but other than that, I really have no criticism of all the dinosaurs or just was there a specific dinosaur? Specifically, the raptors, the Dilophosaurus are pretty damn bad. Yeah. If you look, especially like, you know, you can see it on the interior shots because that's where they're using puppets for the velociraptors. Right. And you can see if you look at the back tail because uh, you have to dissect every frame of this film because everybody said fucking everything about it. <laughs> that's where you get to it. But, you know, and like I said, obviously there are inaccuracies and stuff, but I think it's good. Set design. Any criticisms of the set design? I I mean, I feel like um, in the scene with Lord Dern where they're tear the raptors are like tearing the fencing off inside mm-hmm. it kind of seems like a little too easy you know what i'm saying yep. like that just i'm like okay clearly that was just a pull apart thing yep too easy very hacky and it, it doesn't feel like a full dinosaur that feels the most like a puppet to me right that scene. 
it reminds me of Carnosaur, which we'll definitely get into <laughs> next week. Um, what I love about the set design and everything is the products. It's all a gimmick. So you get the best of both worlds. You get effective marketing. And then if it's not effective, it's also being sardonic and it's making fun of marketing. Right? Right. And so seeing that tacky shit in the background, like the hyper-colored Triceratops plushie and stuff on the wall, I, I love that every time because it's just so garish and it reminds me of stepping off of Jurassic Park the ride and seeing all of this like <laughs> hackneyed shit right. and you know when everybody steps off of the boat and, and everybody's fine except for Steven Spielberg who steps off the boat uh, for the first time before the drop because you could do a movie where a dinosaur eats a lawyer to death who may or may not have been shitting in his pants on top of the toilet <laughs> but you can't do a little ride but my point is when it's exsanguinated and everything is sterile and fine and fun, it's still kind of tawdry. But then when you juxtapose it with like with a really the violence of what's happening, you're like, oh, this is in bad taste. And I love it. But they'll <laughs> still exploit it. <laughs> Capitalism is bad unless we're the ones being capitalists. Well, that's what the lawyer was saying, right? Yeah. It's like we're just gonna make a buttload of money here. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard because I I really do enjoy this film series and I, you know, I don't pick apart movies. I tend to just, you know, enjoy them, turn off my brain and yeah, right. Enjoy them. What's funny is this is a movie that helped me get to the point of dissecting movies. Yeah. Like, see, like, I wonder how they did it. I wonder, because I remember being a kid and watching on VHS and standard definition. Yeah. Going like, is, is that the CGI? Is this the thing? Is that mm, is the see. effect? Is, you know. I really love doing that. And this is a huge movie that influenced it. But also, you know, the Jurassic Park film franchise, I'm fine to just sit back and, and dumb out to. Yeah. Even the new ones. You know, you got the fucking Draco Rex Hogwartsia or Stiggy Moloch or whatever. It's supposed to be head button through walls and being fucking Clint Eastwood in the great Alcatraz <laughs> escape or whatever. And I'm like, whatever, that's fine. Probably not accurate, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm trying to think of which one in the series is my favorite. And I, I, it probably it is this first one. What's your favorite sequel? I, I don't, I'm terrible with the names, but I really like the opening scene of the family on the beach yep. and the comfies come out and uh, they start attacking her. And that's just, I mean, you don't see that, but you hear it. Oh, and, she's dead. I can tell you from the book. She's dead. Yeah. But I Wait. really is that the second one or is that's, that the third? Well, no, that's the second. That's the second movie, but it's the beginning of the book. It, I of the first book, yeah, right. But yeah, so the, I think the second one would be my next. But I also like the one where Malcolm is there with his daughter on the island. That's the same movie. Oh, okay. Thank you. I'm I'm mixing. I haven't watched them in so long because no. our small children take up so much time. Yeah. Well, I remember really not liking the whole gymnastics thing in the second one. I was thinking, I funny enough, I was thinking about that too. Where, I, um, you know, it was very hokey, but I like Julianne Moore in that. I was trying to think of like I liked everything, but yeah, yeah. I think that the exploitation of natural resources is delivered in a pretty good way, but that's I really like that scene where the their like research trailer is like hanging off and you know they're Little trying baby to T-Rex got a boo-boo. Mm -hmm. I really I, I don't know. I like that. Give me your chewing gum. 
I remember it all, Lisa. I think, well, funny enough, I think it would surprise a lot of people. I really go for Jurassic Park 3. I like that one a lot. It's It's got some terrible stuff. It's got a sat phone that's shit. <laughs> this, this Spinosaurus has recently been revealed to be wholly inaccurate. Uh, but I, I like that one better, and which is weird because I think I really like Jeff Goldblum as mm. Ian Malcolm, but I, I like Sam Neill a lot as well. I really love the pterodactyls and, and the flying... Technically, it's not dinosaur, but whatever. I, I thought that was a lot of fun. And then when it gets to the new ones, the new ones are just fine. Those are just, they're like a different thing to it me. It is, you know? which isn't bad. I mean, I think Chris Pratt's. Oh, Chris Pratt. Do you think he's the fat kid from the beginning of Jurassic Park who gets <laughs> harassed by no Doctor Grant? But I like that theory. It's fun. But I, what I like, I like the idea. He's not a dinosaur guy. He's an animal trainer, right? Because taking you know, it's basically like the idea of taking a person who's into forensic etymology and then sending them to a bug's life and being like, enjoy. And they're like, what the fuck? These things are all alive. I've only dealt with dead shit. <laughs> right. You know, you wouldn't necessarily know versus this guy who's like, hey, I trained a dolphin at SeaWorld when I was 16 and I guess I could do it with a raptor. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I really, people, I think similar to, you know, all great franchises, People are a little bit harsh with the newer additions, like specifically oh, yeah. like Star Wars and things like that, just because they have such a passion for the originals. Oh, but yeah. I'm OK with them all. Try telling somebody that you liked uh, Friday the 13th, 2009 <laughs> or like Leatherface or whatever. They're like, what? It doesn't hold a candle to the. No shit. It doesn't hold a candle to the original. It's still fun, though. Yeah. Let them exploit it. They can have my 12 bucks from the movie theater. <laughs> That's not how much movies cost yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm good with it. So let's go to the classic, tragic, tragic scale. Classic. Come on. Yeah. That wasn't even a. It's like one of the best movies of all time. And even where it fails, I think it succeeds because it's got that great backdrop of like, even when it feels bloated and big budgety and hacky, you know, it's making fun of that kind of culture and making fun of that opulence. And, and I think that really has aged incredibly well yes I imagine agree. a fucking influencer taking their selfies at jurassic park omg got to see gallimimus today peace funny enough um camp cretaceous has a little girl that is a influencer of course it does <laughs> i know you haven't i watch those much too fast for you to keep up with me. yeah you do that <laughs> so with I every apologize. fucking thing I've seen more Gigantosaurus and Dino Ranch than you have, though. So. That is true. Suck it. Come at me when you can quote Megatron, not the one that's a gun, but the one that's a T-Rex and a dragon. <laughs> that's a Beast Wars and Beast Machines reference. Thank you very much. Arguably dinosaur content, though not really. You're yawning again. I bored you. We also went longer than I thought. This, this. Uh, it's hard to, uh, there's just There's a too lot. much. Yeah. You know, this is one where if you like, if you'd like, let us know. I'll do a second part of this episode because I really could. And that's the hard thing. Like, there's so much to talk about. I could get into incredible minutia of detail with everything. Like I said, like the thesis of, just general. of the color clothing and stuff like that. Yes. But I would be remiss if I did not hand things over to myself from like two months ago. And my good friends, Kat and Jimmy from Dinosaurs will always be awesome. This is Slashers. Or at least the interview portion of the show, I'm still not entirely sure how to introduce. My name is Jake, and with me for the first time ever are my new friends Catherine Abbott and Jimmy Wald Waldron. I almost said it wrong, but then I corrected myself because I wanted to say it like 
Yeah. How are you guys today? <laughs> I'm doing really good. I'm so excited to be a part of this. I'm a horror fan, so I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. Jake, I am so excited about this. I, I haven't slept in days for other reasons, but also because I'm excited to be here with you tonight. <laughs> That's like the level of humor of uh, Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2 and you know, with the, <laughs> the bunch of $100 bills with the rubber band. And that is a horror reference because of Sam Raimi. Boom, bringing it full circle. I am so excited to talk to you guys. You are my first paleontological podcasters of this month. How do you do it? I wanted to just cast well, the biggest brush I could and see what you guys would come up with. <laughs> no, it's, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, the, right now, my, my head is swimming because all I want to know right now is what is Sam Raimi's favorite dinosaur? Because oh. uh, uh, that's, <laughs> that's the question that we always start with. So on our show, dinosaurs will always be awesome. We love to connect scientists, researchers, uh, the people who are actually telling the stories behind the bones and bring their information up to the modern age. Because everybody loves dinosaurs when you're a kid. Yep. A lot of us don't grow out of that phase. Uh -huh. But for those who have and have gone on to do other careers or, or, or live fulfilling adult lives, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they've missed especially in the last 20 to 25 years about some of your favorite dinosaurs. Oh yeah. So what Kat and I do is we bring that information and the people who are making that happen back up to the modern day, because it really, it doesn't matter what you do, where you're from or how old you are. Dinosaurs will always be awesome. Dinosaurs will always be awesome. I, I love yes. the term. So, so what we do is we talk to people who are as passionate about dinosaurs as we are. And one of the I'm, Jimmy was leading up to it, so I might as well ask it. We want to know what your favorite dinosaur is. Yeah, I was afraid of this. I was honestly dreading it because <laughs> you run a horror podcast. You're afraid of this. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> because I've done so much research, especially on this topic, that like it slanted my view. We had talked before we went on the air about Pachycephalosaurus. That was like my favorite dinosaur for years because it was yeah. easy. You know, I get to be like, I just get to impress my own life experience on this and go, it was a, you know, I'm a vegan, check. I hit my head on stuff, check. I'm not the biggest, check. And then all of a sudden it's like people talk about them scraping each other's heads. And then you got JK Rowling thesaurus and I'm not exactly cool <laughs> with her anymore. I have this working theory that because she was deemed as witchcraft and then she couldn't sell books to conservatives. Now she's leaning into conservatism to sell every single person on this planet a book, but I digress. And so I think I will just go back to Pachycephalosaurus without wanting to sound like a poser, unless I want to do the Stiggy Moloch, which is just like the same thing, but with a little bit of pizzazz, like a spirit fingers on his head. Stiggy Moloch is a little bit more of a, it's a metal Pachycephalosaurus because yeah. it's got the horns. It's the, it's the demon from the river sticks. And that is the name of this animal. Yes. So I think that's, I, I think it's apropos. Thank you. And I think a lot more people are familiar with it because it was in Jurassic World and mm -hmm. it somehow managed to crash through a wall. Yeah, very I, likely. I, Rebar's not a thing, right? That's, that's exactly. not a thing. You think that there would have been some engineering that went into, you know, dinosaur cages or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we were we were talking about this a little bit before uh, before we kicked off the show that the layers of the skull of a Stiggy Moloch are actually interspersed between layers of bone and plot armor. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. If I wasn't it. drinking my, my drink, I just realized this. My I was trying to get cup, you to spit it out. <laughs> yeah. My favorite cup is green. And so my green screen makes my cup disappear. And so it looks like I'm just sitting there like miming 
Um, and I almost yeah. spit all over all of my technology. So thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> would have been an invisible spit. So good. Yeah. It's, Our show's not done right unless we've caused $50,000 worth of uh, technological damage. <laughs> right? My life. And Psychological, my too. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Have you ever lost an episode, Jimmy? You've been doing this for three, four years now? I've had, yeah, I've started this back in 2018. And there are about, there are a couple of episodes that I have filmed with other scientists. Uh, this was before Cat came along that have not seen the light of day. And partially was because I was new with this and the, the information that I got from the the, the researchers was so poignant and so vivid that my skills weren't good enough yeah. to get that out yet. So I needed to get more hours in the final cut flight seat before I could put something that was going to do them justice and, and I could be proud of. So we're getting to that point now, but there's another one that I did. I wanted to take a new fresh look at, Dilophosaurus. Oh, I love it. Because this was a dinosaur. I know, right? This is a dinosaur that so many people loved from Jurassic Park. For all the wrong reasons, yes. Criminally too little screen time for this amazing animal that was so much more of a vicious creature than what we actually saw in the movie. So I wanted to do things where I show you, like, here's what we've learned about recent studies. Here's what we've learned about this thing going on. And I actually even met with a scientist Corwin Sullivan, and we did a, a, a great interview where we looked at how Dilophosaurus was a, a clapper, not a slapper. Like the wrists are always weird in the Jurassic uh, Park movies. It's terrible. And then right before I was getting ready to launch it, Brian Ang from Don't Mess With Dinosaurs creates the new definitive view of what Dilophosaurus actually looked like. And it revolutionized everything. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm sitting here like, well... Got me again. Okay. But it's <laughs> so, a really so good sudden, stick figure, Jimmy. <laughs> it was nice. It was nice, but yeah. it was, it, it was immediately redundant. And yeah. so my, the, the thing that I was working on was no longer current and that's a great problem to have It is because paleontology is often viewed as being so static, Yeah. but really it's a, it's a very living science of very, very dead things. Well, and what's crazy is I know a lot of people who've gotten completely like blown away. Like they were on it as kids. They tried to get into it. And because so much had changed that they were completely unaware of in 20 years, like, where do I start? Kat, if you had somebody who was completely uninitiated, where do they start? You know, let's say you've lapsed in the last 24 years since you saw the Blue Ranger and his robot Triceratops. (laughs) I I can always convert somebody into a dinosaur lover. You give me half an hour, I will tell them as much as I possibly can because usually when people think about dinosaurs, they think, oh, dinosaurs are for kids or dinosaurs are for boys or dinosaurs aren't cool. Because when they picture of a, di- a dinosaur, they picture the thing they remember as a kid, that yeah. upright, slow moving, drag their tail around, lumbering beast. And it's like dinosaurs aren't like that anymore. We have a lot yeah. of science to let us know that dinosaurs are horrifying, terrible creatures <laughs> that were vicious killers, which... Brings us to the reason that we're here in the first place, which is to talk about scariest dinosaurs. Exactly. And that's something that I'm very, ex- especially to start off with, Dil- uh, do you say, you said Dilophosaurus. I, I really don't like when people say Dilophosaurus because it sounds like it's a bread smuggler. But that dinosaur is so criminally <laughs> underrated. It was already a badass. And then they're like, let's just add some bells and whistles. You want a little frilly thing? Let's do a frilly thing. You want to spit stuff? Let's spit. And it's like, yeah, that. Man. 
like Dilophosaurus, Lophosaurus, etc. Ad hominem forever is so much better than a Velociraptor. I, I it drives me crazy. Why? It, okay. Yes. So in simplest terms, because we're going to deviate, I can tell you now. Kat, what do you think the scariest dinosaur is? Oh, are we starting from scariest? Because I've got different categories. Oh, we've got. I love this. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yes. I'm yes. a homework doer so, for podcasts, so I really love when people have prepared. So you just do whatever. You take my show and I'll just sit here with my invisible cup. Love it. To, to that end, if I can interject, because we are doing Please. this over Zoom, do you mind if I share my screen? Please, absolutely. So <laughs> for this one, I'll actually, I'm announcing it in, in the middle of interview. I will put this on YouTube for free instead of hiding it behind the paywall like we do with the other Patreon content. So we will share and share alike. Okay, perfect. I wish I would have yes. done my hair. So, <laughs> Jimmy made some really incredible graphics, which will help us talk about our our top picks for scariest dinosaurs. I am so into this. This is Christmas for me. I love everything yeah. that you've ever done. You're my new favorite people. Also, can we talk about <laughs> Dwaba? That's just so fun to say. Exactly. Dwaba. <laughs> and that's our website as well. <laughs> I've, been, I've always said Dwaba, like a, like a really long ah sound. So like Dwaba. <laughs> but so yeah, it's short for dinosaurs nice will always be awesome. <laughs> yes, it's a wonderful so 2017. Jimmy and I just did a live announcing this new discovery last week. This is actually a new t- abelosaur, and which makes it scary is actually what its name means. Take it away, Jimmy. So this is Lou Culkin, whose name means the one who causes great fear. And, and no relation to Macaulay, correct? I made that same joke. Oh, my really? God. Really? <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the great not only is it, it's it's Ooh. brilliant and that's a great way to remember what this what this creature is yeah it's a Lou Culkin is the one who causes great fear and this is an abelosaur so it's a relative of like Carnotaurus yeah. and uh, that's why you can tell from the the short and kind of the the, the, the curved face uh, the abelosaurs use their heads kind of like hatchets where they would be able to kind of bite down and kind of rake into something to chop off the, the the bits of meat that they were going to chew on. And so instead of having the long, bulky jaws like a T-Rex, they were very narrow and they were kind of short for that kind of quick hacking and slashing. But uh, Luke Culkin here not only was a really vicious uh, abelosaur from Argentina, but it's got some mm-hmm. extra holes in the top of its head which we haven't seen in these kinds of dinosaurs before. And what that means is that it had a way potentially for uh, heat exchange so that a lot of blood rushing to the head to help it to cool down, which would uh, make it kind of more like a a more stealthy predator to to go for bursts of energy and then cool itself down quickly in between its attacks. As opposed to like sustained, I'm chasing you like Michael Myers for 40 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's also believed that these guys had very interesting ears. They had ears similar to crocodilians instead of ears similar to other abelosaurs, which is the first type of abelosaur to be seen with these ears, which means they had more sensitive hearing, which is really interesting. Oh, absolutely. As fellow podcasters, I'm sure you know, like when it comes to like clicking and stuff like that in audio, I have a very longstanding working theory that the reason that those high registers hit you is because your brain is thinking, Oh, that's a twig breaking, and there's a saber cat behind there, and it's going to come eat me. And then you're like, oh, nope, it's the exact opposite. It's a mouse. Yeah. It's a danger. Right? Like, when I hear high, high notes, I'm like, oh, that's scary. I hear low bassy stuff, like, I don't know, an earthquake. Don't care at all. Bring it. Ready for the next one, cat? 
Okay. Yes. Bring love it on. This. I love this one so much. All right. <laughs> this yes. goes to your dress. Okay. Your wardrobe so, is appropriate. This is amazing. Exactly. So this is my choice. And this is the scariest dinosaur in media. This is the zombie Brachiosaurus from the, the TV series Primal. Oh, there has so never gnarly. been anything scarier in my entire life. Think about dinosaurs. Think about the size they are. Think about what would happen if one of them was turned into a zombie. This is the scariest thing I could possibly think about, which brings me to this is a Brachiosaurus. But the real life dinosaur that I think is the most horrifying of the sauropods is uh, Diplodocus. Diplodocus had a tail that was so long that when it whipped and it cracked, it actually broke the sound barrier, causing a sonic boom like a jet taking off. <sighs> People don't even like... We, think about... If it was tap dancing, you die. If it takes right. a nap, <laughs> you die. This is this is not where... like And f- frankly, this is a lot scarier because I think one of the things that makes zombies scary is we don't have snarling, pointy teeth. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of them, but not enough to like shred you to die instantly. You're going to get gnawed on for a few minutes. And I think that's probably the worst, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So think about a zombie Quetzalcoatlus or a large pterosaur or a zombie T-Rex or something that could run really fast, like a Struthiomimus. You might as well just give up. Yeah. <laughs> With big sauropods like these, we often think of uh, the plant-eating dinosaurs, the herbivores, whatever they are. They're the more docile ones. They're the friendly ones because they don't have the vicious teeth. But turns out in the real world, you know, just because an animal eats plants doesn't mean it's not something to to lead, to not mess with. Yeah. Uh, Diplodocus with that long whip-like tail, not only could it create those those claps of thunder like Cat was talking about, but we've actually seen. Uh, there's a place in Wyoming at the Wyoming Dinosaur Center where there is an allosaur layer that they've uncovered with footprints and everything. And uh, one day, a stampede of big sauropods, big camarasaurs, they look kind of like this guy, came stomping through and had just had enough. So they went and they stampeded through this allosaur layer. And there's actually a piece of a vertebrae from another camarasaur that had been eaten that they stomped into and it crushed the vertebrae like a, like a beer can into one of the footprints. Oh, so it's a, it's a situation where we see that these sauropods were so massive and so mighty that if you got them upset, it was the last mistake that you were going to make. Yeah. So they, they yeah. because you don't see it coming, <laughs> that's what makes them so scary. That's the element of real great surprise. Yeah, and, and about- there's also evidence that these guys were omnivores. Sometimes there's evidence that we found skeletons of other dinosaurs in their stomachs. So they needed that little protein boost, that little calcium boost. They would suck up anything that was in their way. Yeah, crazy. And think about that's a long way down that neck where you're going, damn it, damn it, damn it. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I take the left turn at Albuquerque? And then you hit the acid. Yeah, when your life flashes before your eyes, you can do the Snyder Cut version of On the Way Down. <laughs> but then imagine if he got uh, like seasick or something, and then he throws up, and then it's another four hours on the way back. That's the worst bungee experience of my life. But uh, so Gross. on the topic of Primal, um, we can just agree that it's amazing, and we could just throw out the, all of the inaccuracies, right? Like I don't need that to be correct. It just it's that the Powerpuff Girls guy did this. 
and it's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. This is this is more like the Samurai Jack guy doing yeah, that this. That is fair. That is fair. <laughs> but yeah, Primal it, it makes no assertions of trying to be scientifically accurate. Correct. Like, and it, it didn't from the beginning. But what it is more than anything else, it's similar to Jurassic Park in that it's an exercise in good storytelling mm-hmm. through the medium of dinosaurs as characters. Now, Spear and Fang are separated by over 65 million years from each other. There's not a chance yeah. that a human and a dinosaur would ever build a buddy cop scenario like that to to become friends and, and battle across the wilderness. But the stories that they're telling and the way that they visualize them without any dialogue is really compelling. And yeah. that's, I think, what makes the show so so really powerful and so good. Um, but speaking of things that are really compelling images... I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of this next one that Cat's got. For let's you. do it. Let's do it. Oh, oh, I was talking about this. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the big tusk quill monster. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't this picture just scream scary stories to tell in the dark, dude? Like, the art design is perfect. Pego Mastics is one of my least favorite dinosaurs of all time. Maybe because I have a personal resentment because in Ark, it is the dinosaur that runs up and steals all of your stuff. <laughs> so you're usually just all of a sudden you're just wandering around and then Pegomastics took your things. Like, God, <laughs> you have to chase it down and murder it to get all your stuff back. But this thing, it's got fangs. It's got quills. <laughs> it's not a pretty thing. Imagine sitting in the darkness around a campfire and then all of a sudden one of these things starts digging through your bag. Oh, no. yeah. No it's, thanks, dude. And it reminds me of the turkey from Thanksgiving. Uh, if you've ever seen that abomination <laughs> of a film, which is amazingly delightful. But think about it. From the title alone. <laughs> oh, it's, it is a sight to behold. My wife, who's very uninitiated in horror, uh, she still brings it up very frequently whenever we watch something that I'm not necessarily super into, like Spring Baking Challenge. She's like, yeah, yeah, thanks killing. And I'm like, duly noted. I will subjugate myself to the couch. Yeah. Thanks killing is such a succinct title. You hear it and you know exactly what it is. And it's the best holiday title summary that I've heard since Gary Busey as the ginger dead man. Yes. So- <laughs> 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 you want to know exactly what's going to happen. There it is. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You just gave me the spark notes and the full synopsis. That's amazing. <laughs> But in terms of this beast, uh, one of the things that always strikes me with birds is the, the concussive impact. And then this one has multiple levels of shredding because you have a, a pecker and a ripper and a biter. That's just unfair. That's just yeah. too many toys <laughs> to play with. Right. It's like when you're playing with a kid who's like changing the rules and it's like, oh, well, you can't tag me because I was standing on my left foot. You're like, that's bullshit. That's, that's not fair. <laughs> This is the werewolf version of a terror bird yes. and a porcupine all had a baby and created the most horrifying thing you could ever think of. Mm-hmm. This, like, look at those teeth. Those are, those would hurt. Yeah. And terror birds. Another thing, completely crazy. The idea of like the Central American predominant animal being just a big bird that we use as like a mount in our RPGs now. And it's like, no, that like ruled ass like that. That won the game for millions of years until it won the game too much and had to shrink. That's crazy. 
I'm, I'm in Florida. We actually had those things floating around right here. There's a lot of those like forest racos, these horse eating terror birds. They, they live right in this area and it's uh, it's not fun. Jeez Louise. Wasn't there a belief that the terror bird used to stab the back of the spines of animals to paralyze them and then eat them with the the tip that was on the front of their beak? Wasn't that a belief? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And considering that woodpeckers do it now. Yes. It's, 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 this is one of the things that's so great about paleontology. You want, you want to see how something like this monstrosity could work. You look at what else in the animal kingdom is doing the same thing. You're like, yeah, look, this, this nightmare creature probably did something like that. Yeah. We love asking people what their favorite dinosaur is. Canonically. Yeah. We love asking people what their favorite dinosaur is, and there's no wrong answer. But if someone says this thing, I'm calling the FBI. <laughs> For sure. He's wearing there someone's skin on the weekend. wrong with you. Yeah. Oh, also, for my audience, I, I didn't. I was very uncouth. And I didn't ask your favorite dinosaurs. I, I feel like I might, might have a suspicion as to cats, but uh, let's go through it. Yeah, my my favorite is obviously Spinosaurus. I am known as the the Spino Queen. I am obsessed. I have a tattoo of one on my arm, and uh, you're yeah. speaking into my one skull, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Exactly. I kind of gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy? Yeah, my favorite dinosaur is now and has always been and will continue to be Tyrannosaurus rex because I love the classics. And this dinosaur has been a great gateway to learn so much about the other dinosaurs. And uh, we've we've taken the information from here and applied it to so many of the things. It's so extensively researched. We've learned so much about it. And and I've got more about why it's great, but we're going to get into it. (laughs) Heck yeah, I'm all about it. Let's do this. Okay, so here's something else. Here's another terrifying dinosaur that Kat would love to talk about. Yes. Okay, so this is Thanatos theristes, which is a tyrannosaur that was discovered in Alberta. And it was discovered quite a few years ago, but was recently rediscovered by an undergraduate student who noticed that this particular tyrannosaur was a little bit different than tyrannosaurs that that had been already discovered in Alberta. Its name literally means the Reaper of Death. I love when young people name dinosaurs because usually old the older generation is just like they do the very analytical cleft foot dinosaur or green skin dinosaur. Like yeah. I love when people throw a little bit of flair onto dinosaurs. The Reaper of Death, yes, that is the dinosaur that we needed in 2020. My only criticism <laughs> of the name is the fact that it's not eight characters, so I can't get it tattooed across my knuckles. <laughs> it's amazing. And you're entirely right. Like, like, who gives a shit if it's got two frills? That's not the coolest part of it. The coolest part of like Dilophosaurus is the fact that it could just destroy you on like an atomic level. But and and please, I'm jumping around. I'm excited. I feel I literally feel like I'm sitting on like an electric, you know, those like when you do the contact charge with your phone, somebody did yeah. that to my chair. It's great. Yes. <laughs> you could make Thanatos, it work. I love I love dinosaur names. I think that it definitely helps keep dinosaurs more interesting for people. Another really great dinosaur name out there is Moros Intrepidus, which actually means the embodiment of doom. It is a smaller tyrannosaur. It's a precursor to the tyrannosaurus. So the embodiment of doom means that it's eventually going to evolve into T-Rex, which means that it is the doom impending. Moros Intrepidus is the kind of name 
that you picture a church choir singing as this animal <laughs> raises up from the bowels of hell. Yeah, for sure. There's a metal <laughs> band somewhere that's trying to come up with a name that good. They already have the face paint and they're standing in the forest posing in black and white, but they just can't get a name that good. <laughs> exactly. I would sing it, but my singing voice would not do it justice. You just picture the church choir singing Moros Intrepidus over and over as this little tiny demon tyrannosaur raises up from a pedestal from hell. Well, I bring this up all the time because people, I, when, when you, you talk trash about Velociraptor, which I do quite often, or Archaeopteryx, a great one. Archaeopter, it's like a Velociraptor, but it's the size of a crow. Bro, a crow would still mess you up in the face. There's no question about that. Like you are yeah, lucky they have those tools things don't know problem that. solving behavior. So. Exactly. <laughs> and they're smart. And yeah, don't mess with crows, man. But I'm like, you know, people talk about like the velociraptor velociraptor the size of a coyote. I don't see people messing with coyotes. And it's only got a mouth. You don't ever see coyotes kicking MFs in the throat. So I mean, size does not necessarily matter <laughs> so much. No, velociraptor. Got my velociraptor skull right here. Oh, it's got a ma- COVID mask. I love it. See, you could be long extinct and still be a considerate. Ex- oh, yeah. <laughs> so any other th- things that we could talk about as far as the Reaper of Death is concerned? So you can definitely get this tattooed across your knuckles. If you do Thana, Toph, and then Ristis. Do it right there. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I actually used to want to get on my right hand, you know, because you have you have multiple knuckle areas, canvases, if you will. So I always yeah. wanted to get hand and then on the lower ones, fist. So it'd be hand over fist. But I didn't think that that, that was a little too cutesy for me. <laughs> so, uh, Jake, when, when we were getting ready to come together and join you here on Slashers, uh, we were trying to think about other cool things that we could talk about with you in terms of, you know, these amazing dinosaurs. Yeah. And if there's one thing that people, there's two things people enjoy doing on the internet, the podcasts and BuzzFeed quizzes. And so <laughs> <laughs> yes. in the spirit of the, 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 the vibe of the show, we came up with a list of horror sores. Yes. The classic movie monsters, if they were dinosaurs. And you're going to love this, buddy. I know you're going to like it. I know you're going to like it. <laughs> I'm like Start about up. to tear up over here, I swear. We're, oh, we're and so I just excited. hit. I'm going to hit this space bar. You're going to like ah, ah. <laughs> Boom. There is Venusaurus. You already knew it. You already knew it. Oh we're my making God. a shirt for this. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Because I was talking to my daughter. We just got her a Therizinosaurus tall. And so I was like, now... like maybe partially omnivorous, but eight plants just like dad. And look at these things. And then I keep telling her because she's exactly the size of one claw. I know, right? They're freaking huge. The claws were bigger than some people who have a license to drive an automobile. That's the craziest thing in the world. And then when you add fur to them or, or, you know, proto feather or feather or what have you, it's even scarier. Like, like it frills itself out. I love it. And yeah. also, you have the exact facial colors that I'm looking at because, you know, there's not evidence that they would have any kind of, you know, plumage on their face. So you have this gross, very Freddy Krueger burn face victim. Thi- oh, yeah. I love it. You guys are my best friends. <laughs> we have found we haven't found a full Therizinosaurus yet. We found parts and pieces of them. But that whole group of dinosaurs, like we found one called Dinochirus that was just the arms. And when we had that, we're like, this is a gigantic 
horrible creature, bigger than a T-Rex, yeah. clearly a voracious predator. But then we found other parts of them. There's another one called Ehrlichosaurus, where we've actually found the full skull. And that's when we started to see things like mm-hmm. the beak and the omnivorous features of it. And so as horrifying as this thing is, you know, after its reign of terror was done, it was it, you know, moved and it got a nice little walk up brownstone on Sesame Street. <laughs> Became friends of the yeah. woolly mammoth, and uh, the rest is uh, learning about. Uh, brought to you by the letters F and U. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, it's funny because right. you look at the silhouette so the and you think is- of the giant tree sloth, and you're like, "Oh, that's kind of mundane." And then you see it, and you're like, "Oh God, that was wrong." Yeah. Do you think that if Therizinosaurus walked, do you think that the actual claws would clack together, making a horrifying clacking sound in the darkness? <laughs> um, I love the idea. I think that that's truly uh, a thing that's not fair to have put in my brain, but it will haunt my nightmares very appropriately. But I mean, also think about it like when you're it talking about- It has haunted both mine and Jimmy's nightmares. Well, you look at like, you know, keratin, right? Like when uh, a big frustration that a lot of paleontologists have is damage to like the frill material because it's obviously the weakest and you're talking about millions of years. So for all we know, these things could have been longer. What? And I've seen people who would put them like completely sheathed in like a membrane. Uh, no, forget that, bro. I don't want that on my face. I just watched Kong vs. Godzilla with the thing, the basilisk, and puts it over its face and it can't breathe. <laughs> no. They were retractable, like Wolverine. Just like- Ooh, I dig that. Yeah, when it, when it comes to Therizinosaurus claws, we know about the claws they let you know about. Yeah. <laughs> I also love the idea that it could sheath them because then it's like sitting at the mm-hmm. deli and it unsheaths one of them and starts impatiently tapping. And then the guy's like, oh, right away. Yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. Getting a vegetarian sandwich. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I have an avo on rye. I'm on now. Kat, are you ready for the next one? Yes, let's do it. Okay. All right. So the next horror movie classic creature that I wanted to bring up here and show you its, di- its dinosaur analog is... He's a good boy from the Tommy from the Hewitt family, Leatherface. I'm very now, excited. There's a couple of things about Leatherface that really stand out. Little, little rough in the face department, mm-hmm. and the whole family is is number of cannibals. So we've actually got. May I present for my boys and ghouls? This is Majungasaurus. Oh. That sounds profane, though. That sounds like the name is something that uh, that Freddy Krueger <laughs> would say to you while groping himself. But please keep going. Majungasaurus. <laughs> Majungasaurus is a is a theropod dinosaur. So it's a it's a two legged carnivorous dinosaur from Madagascar. Okay. Its name actually refers to the city where it was actually found, the whole the, the the province where it was discovered. But as you can see, it's a little messed up in the face department. You know, the skulls of Majungasaurus have a lot of different pits and and the pieces that we found are are not exactly smooth, but it looks like they were, that's the way they lived. So there was a lot of, kind of like a vulture's face. But what really makes this guy stand out for the Majunga Chainsaw Massacre is that we actually have direct evidence of cannibalism with this dinosaur here. So for years, we thought something like a coelophysis might be from Ghost Ranch, New Mexico, because we had a long coelophysis skeleton and they found parts of a little coelophysis into it. Well, in about five or six years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, they did an up-close study of those bones again. And they realized that the big coelophysis had ribs that were on top of the other one. And so that means it wasn't eaten. It was a baby that got 
plopped underneath an adult that had died or was quickly buried. And I saw so, a romantic analysis where somebody thought that the coelophysis had thrown itself on top to protect. Get out of my face with that nonsense. <laughs> oh, that, that'd be the good dinosaur version. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> the good. Ironically, we'll just say that's the name. Of yeah. The so, but with Majungasaurus, we've actually found specimens that not only had teeth marks and, and bites as they've been gnawed on, but the teeth of this dinosaur are pretty unique. And so we match those up to bite marks on some of the sauropods, the long necks that were in the area, and match those back up. So we know that these were Majunga teeth going into these Majunga bones. So that tells us that this thing was a cannibal when the need arose. And if you look at the spines on its back, the it's a chainsaw. <laughs> And what's great about this is you're not even like extrapolating like Coelophysis. They, they did the analysis of its fossilized poop and its puke. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, there's chunks of stuff here. So, yeah, we probably got something versus this. It's like, no, this is like this is absolutely what it was. Forensically speaking, right. we don't even need Dexter from the show with the blood splatter <laughs> to come in here and recreate this. We know this was here. Oh, I love it. And it's also way bigger. I mean. A theropod is going to crush a coelophysis anyways. Any, even the tiny doom one. <laughs> yeah, so this guy would be about 11 or 12 feet tall. So they <laughs> they they weren't short by any stretch of the imagination. They would well, still they uh, not short. be one that you want to bump into. They are short in the hand department, Compared though, to. because it is an abelosaur. And Why you got to do them like that? A relative of the ridiculous <laughs> tiny hand Carnotaurus, yeah. which is also another scary dinosaur because it is literally the devil <laughs> dinosaur with the horns. Carnotaurus, the meat-eating bull. That's my wife's favorite, uh, you know, as far as oh, really? a threatening one. But we went and did the Jurassic Quest with the kids and stuff. And then you see this dinky little thing. I'm like, that's what's going to scare you? I mean, really? <laughs> you know what I, I mean- say? I say, on my honor, I challenge you to an arm wrestling contest. That's how you, that's how you get them. Yep. That is the thing to do. All right. Next. A more. Yeah. I love this one a lot. Oh, I'm yeah. very excited. Look, you remember critters, right? Oh, critters the, is delightful. The, the, the Mac and me of gremlins. <laughs> 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 Only somebody who's seen every one of these movies would know how absolutely goddamn accurate that is. Like you that made me laugh so hard it felt like somebody like prodded my navel with one of Therizinosaurus's claws. So I, I applaud you just for that analysis. <laughs> Clackety tickle, clackety tickle. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in critters, you got these little things that are just really scary looking, mouthful of teeth. They turn into a giant rolling ball of teeth and they just decimate anything in their path. And it was a great fictional creature because some warped mind came up with something that nature could never possibly ever come up with. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yes, I do. Ah, welcome to <laughs> Masiakasaurus. <laughs> oh my God. The that has got a face that only a mother could love. That's like if Stichosaurus <laughs> and a raptor had a baby that's a horrifying thing. Well, that's one of the great things yeah. Kat and I organically were talking about before we even started was talking about like the plesiosaurus and as far as like the teeth structure. I love dinosaurs where it's like, you know what? I just need more teeth. So I'm just going to stick them out of its face because I've run out of other space. <laughs> and that's what this guy is. I mean, Jesus, it looks like you could have also said uh, Hellraiser with Pinhead because it's so much, so much stabbies. I was flipping that coin, but I wanted to do the Mac and me joke. So it's, good. I- <laughs> it's, it's very worth it. 
<laughs> that that's such a good joke that if you had honestly told me that you had done like five open mic nights to come up with it, I would completely believe you. <laughs> No, the other thing I was going to go with is that uh, Masayakasaurus is the reason that we'll never actually invent time travel. Because if you ever went back in time and this thing was waiting for you, you'd be like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> we're going back. You know what? I'll go back to 2020 for this one. Absolutely. <laughs> Seriously, murder hornet ain't shit. <laughs> All right, next. Ooh, Jigsaw. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, Jigsaw. This is amazing. This is one that Kat's going to speak to you about a little bit here. But Jigsaw, just elaborate in the way that it hunts and kills. Uh, there's so many different shapes and forms of it, and you never really know exactly what you're looking at or dealing with. Kind of like Spinosaurus. Boom. <laughs> I love it. Spinosaurus is my top pick for scariest dinosaur because it is the biggest carnivore to have ever walked this earth and it's the shape-shifting dinosaur you never really know what this dinosaur is going to look like tomorrow because it's always changing yeah. is it going to look like the classic jurassic park spinosaurus or is it going to be more like the 2020 guy or even the re <laughs> more recent one you never know what this is going to look like so it's yeah. unpredictable yeah. and terrifying beast and it, it can attack you on multiple levels. That's one of the things with like, right, you know, yeah. I'd given the example of Quetzalcoatlus in, in prior episodes. You know, we are terrestrial. We're tethered to it. And when we're in water, we're I mean, Michael Phelps should be so lucky to be in the scenario because honestly, even he might struggle. <laughs> and, you know, you get the best of both worlds because they can still go on land and then they can still get to the water. Uh, and maybe for all we know, the sail could flap and he could fly. That's how scary he is, right? <laughs> I'm waiting for the moment where we find out this thing has wings like a dragon and just like completely messes up yeah. what we already Yeah, think. that's that's Spino 2024. We're, we're waiting for that one with bated breath. <laughs> and then we find out that oh it had like God. 17 arms and it was like walked like a millipede and it didn't crawl on four <laughs> legs or two legs or tap dance or whatever it is the issue. Well, even I if really, it did look like that, it would have one amazing fan, and that would be Cat right here. Uh, she's, she's the yeah, Spino queen for a reason. There's a there's a diehard fan in me. I don't think that my opinions of Spinosaurus <laughs> or my love for Spinosaurus will change unless something comes out that it looked completely ridiculous, like a duck. I would love that. Just get rid of the <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like a, a weird old bill that went around it where you're like, why is there, what? There were teeth. Why does it have all this extra? That'd be amazing. Yeah. We're bringing our it's story important to have a to ride or die where you'll actually die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're bringing our story back to Dinochirus because we thought Dinochirus was going to be this terrifying, predatory monstrosity. And it turns out it's just like this giant duck thing with a hump on its yeah. back and giant claw. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's gonna happen to Spinosaurus. That's why it's so terrifying. You never know what it's gonna look like when it comes after you. And we had talked about like my frustration with Spinosaurus. Like I've recently become fascinated, but I didn't like the Spinosaurus that was in Jurassic Park. I felt it was rather anticlimactic, and I think that was a failure of those filmmakers. When you have a neck that long, when you have physicality like that, like the serpentining neck. That's why I love the new heron kind of analysis of the way that it would fish. You know, the fact that it would be a striker and those things that that's way more dynamic. Why didn't they do that instead of him just like slowly snapping a neck? Get out of here with that. So I, I like this, the multifaceted level like Jigsaw. 
I think when you hear about the heron thing, people are, are quick to dismiss that because herons are small and yeah. not necessarily something you could really be worried about. But if you were to say something, oh, yeah, it hunts like a shoebill crane, which is that giant, the, the big gray birds <laughs> oh, yeah. that it's will terrifying. kill you six times before you hit the ground. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay. Somebody call William H. Macy. <laughs> Whose bones are so hollow. I think the whole thing weighs like five pounds. Yeah, shoebills are psychotic and there's the little hook at the end just to be like yeah. yes i will disembowel you yeah good. Nah, <laughs> and there's speaking of disembowel <laughs> i love oh, those no, no, segues no, no, no. well we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna skip that one that one's for us so cat's got got more to say no go ahead Jimmy. it's good i lost it absolutely not no 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 go 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 dude i could talk about spinosaurus for hours if you got the hours <laughs> I mean, i've got the time i could talk about spinosaurus for hours there is new evidence suggesting that nazar is going to be releasing a really big announcement soon so we're waiting on bated breath i'm on the tip of my seat he seems really confident in his new discovery. So it could completely blow the paper out of the water that, that was just released earlier this year. So you never know what Spinosaurus is going to look like at the end of each year. And I'll say now that I will happily have you on again, should between now and the time that this comes out, it, it change drastically so that we all, all don't look foolish. <laughs> just like okay. an addendum footnote here. So I'm putting the little superscript one here so stay tuned to the very end and if there is a change we'll have it there it's all good because right, even if it were to change tomorrow that the beauty of paleontology is that everything that we have is right until it's wrong yeah. and so it, it's 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 beautiful to to watch this whole ebb and flow of things speaking of ebb and flow <laughs> my my favorite uh horror movie creature of all time is jason Voorhees. hey look at that not any Jason either. It's got to be part seven. I, I love the cane hotter Jason. He is, that's, that's, that's the, that's the goat right there. That's my favorite one. And so Jason is known for being this, this indestructible force, this thing, no matter what you try to do, you just can't stop it. It's going to keep coming and you're not going to hear it coming either, which reminds me so much of my favorite dinosaur Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> that's perfect. And honestly, when you look at the shape of its face, like if you're looking at it dead on, I'm like, oh, yeah. it's totally kind of the shape of the hockey mask. <laughs> About three years ago, well, less than that, a study was published that shows that the feet of T-Rex, which are known from Jurassic Park, you had that iconic, the thumping, the, the stomp sound, yeah. you always knew it was coming. It was like uh, it was like the Jaws theme, except the characters in the, in the movie could hear it too. Yeah. And so- you know, that, that, that vision of this dinosaur moving through the forest, these seven and a half tons, is actually very similar to what Jason's got going on now. This study realized that the feet of T-Rex are built with a very a strange set of padding that would actually give it a bit of sonic camouflage. So when he goes into full-on hunting and ambush mode, T-Rex could move silently to sneak up on its prey. Oop. And Ooh. so when you're running through the forest of Crystal Lake and all of a sudden Jason's right there and you turn the other way and now he's there again, yeah. T-Rex could do that. <laughs> yeah. He could get you like that. It'd be amazing. And then no matter what you would do to Jason, he would keep coming back. Yeah. We have specimens like my favorite of all the T-Rexes is Stan. Okay. Uh, and the Stan specimen has several damaging points. We call them pathologies, but we got broken leg bones. We got pieces of his tail that have been bitten off. But the most significant thing is that he's got a broken neck. His yep. neck was completely snapped 
and it fused back together. There's many examples of T-Rexes that have had broken necks that have fused together. So they couldn't move their head around. They would just kind of like look at you from the side, kind of like a deadpan Jason Voorhees <laughs> type of look. And another familiarity with Jason is actually the smell of rotting flesh yeah, that yeah. would probably <laughs> emanate from the mouth of a T-Rex. So they would have a, a buildup of bacteria and rotting meat in their in their teeth that would give them probably a toxic bite. So they could bite an animal, they could leave it for a couple of days, and then they'd come back to do the kill eventually. That's one of the, the truly amazing things when you think about like creatures like the Komodo dragon. Like It doesn't have to viciously kill you. It can just let you die. And I think that's something that's kind of profound. Uh, another one, uh, while we're on the topic of T-Rexes, is, is, is the eyes. The hollow, gaping eyes of Jason were always my favorite part of the mask. <laughs> you know, and, and when you think about like a T-Rex's eyes, the fact that it actually could see into your soul compared to other dinosaurs, that's amazing. High up, pointing forward, stereoscopic vision, it can see in color, it could see in 3D, and it could definitely see you if you don't move. The yeah. scariest thing about a T-Rex is its brain, because it had a large brain for a dinosaur, so that means crazy senses. So T-Rexes could see in better than hawk-like vision. They could see up to six kilometers clearly in the distance. And they could smell you even further. There's evidence to suggest the area in their brain that was the biggest was actually their sense of smell. So think about stand a piece of rotting meat in a trash can seven kilometers away. That T-Rex could smell it. That is a horrifying thought. Oh, yeah. So when you want to talk scary, we're talking a seven and a half ton mountain of meat that's bone-crushing death that can sneak up on you from anywhere and won't stay down. You're talking about Tyranno Voorhees Rex. <laughs> I think that's yes. wonderful. Honestly. This thing could crush car with its mouth. Yeah. And we had talked about it internally with the gang, you know, because we obviously had the Therizinosaurus shirt that we're working on. And one of the ones when it came to Jason, because Jason's obviously, I mean, he's the patron saint of the show. It's in our design. Allegedly, it's a licensed, distinguished, but obviously the same thing. Have to say that for Redbubble, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult because there, it is it's so hard to try and be kitschy and cute, and you want to extrapolate and find something so like you know niche, but it just it fits mm -hmm. so well. We couldn't think of one better, and I think it, it, just for all the same reasons you're saying, you know, especially the durability and everything. Uh, Jason works so much better than Michael Myers, yeah. I would say so, yeah, because uh, Mike Michael Myers is just the the. The, just the persistence of the shape, just pursuing its prey to no other end. And, you know, dinosaurs like T-Rex were, in many cases, ambush predators. And their younger forms, so their, their juveniles and subadults, were more agile. So they would actually be more like, like you see an, a lioness or a hyena hunting. So they'd be more active in that regard. But in terms of like a long-term endurance pursuit, uh, I don't think we have too many dinosaurs that were in that particular ecological niche. There's not one that comes to my mind yet. And none that drove station wagons. True. <laughs> but with all this, I mean, we haven't even talked about the scariest dinosaur yet. Ah, I'm so excited. There's more. You guys are like, oh, the, there's, there's but wait, one. there's more. And I'm one like, more. what's behind the next door? Actually, I didn't even know there was another door. And now that I know I'm on bated breath. There's always another door. And behind this door is the scariest dinosaur of all time. The cassowary? The southern cassowary. <laughs> yes. The killer turkey. 
Because it has a confirmed kill count. Wow. <laughs> this dinosaur this has, has killed people. Kill people. <laughs> Get out of my So you town. remember that scene in Jurassic Park where Alan Grant is tormenting that child and yeah. he's just like, the velociraptor would cut you here and here. Well, that's actually happened. Cassowaries have cut you here and there. You ever see videos of people throwing tabletops at these guys and they're just like, goosh, they kick it like a Spartan? Jeez Louise. Oh, you mean idiots? Yeah. yeah I've seen that on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. No, the cassowary is such, a, it's such an analog. If you need to ask somebody why birds are dinosaurs or where we come from with that, you just show them a picture of this thing and you'll see it exactly. Because between that carrot and crest off the top of the skull that changes throughout its life and the fact that it's got a six-inch sharp claw on the innermost toe and the really bright, vibrant green eggs that it lays. Yeah. Uh, this thing is a dinosaur more than anything, <laughs> more than some of the actual dinosaurs that people have been talking about. When people throw a, a woolly mammoth and a Dimetrodon in a bag of dinosaurs, oh. this is more of a dinosaur than those. <laughs> yeah. I was guilty of it. Uh, you know, my favorite synapsid is a Dimetrodon, but when I was a kid, <laughs> not very far down the street, had a time travel ride and what, the dinosaur, the synapsid that's in it is Dimetrodon. I loved it, right? And so my wife's friend recently came over and I have multiple Dimetrodon toys, figures, whatever. <laughs> and she's like, oh, look, Spinosaurus. And I was like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> but then oh, I was like, God. no, yeah, you're right, Lori. That's, yep, that you got it. Yep. We don't it's talk anymore. It's not a spine. It must be a story. Yeah. You're entirely right. I and also, actually... Like, like, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, I actually used to work for a zoo in Calgary, and the best thing about working at the zoo is talking to the security guards because they have the best stories. Ooh. They actually had cassowaries at the Calgary Zoo, but they became so dangerous that they had to get rid of them. These things were so smart; they were attacking the the fences. They were <laughs> they they had to try and distract these animals with a sacrifice human to oh run around in a padded suit in order to get them to the other side of the enclosure so that they could clean their water dish and clean their food. They were more, they were the most dangerous animal that the zoo has ever owned. And that zoo owns tigers and tigers are notoriously dangerous. These things were smart. They were, they were, they were way smarter than you would expect an animal to be. And I mean, you've seen the claw, the claws like this big. Yeah. If that comes at you, you're dead. Well, and the claw is a great representation of dinosaur feet. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. people get it twisted like they think it's like an elephant foot. No, 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 no. Much more like a bird, much more like an ostrich. And so this is like the best way of describing like, look, this is a velociraptor's foot just without like the the uh, the frill, if you will. This is like right. you streamlined it to being a killing point instead of having like the dramatic hook. I love drama. I think it's uh, the flair, obviously, spirit fingers, what have you. But I like this version because it's like this thing could cut open a letter or your throat. This is true. And what about the coloration? Can you guys talk about that for people who are just listening to it? Because the vibrancy of the cassowary is amazing. Yeah, so these these are really gorgeous uh, animals that have got some of those universal symbols for hey, nature said for you to leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, so it's got this this vibrant black uh, coat of bristles, not really feathers. So they, the cassowaries are 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 flightless, but uh, the, the the bristles are very thick. They're like quills. The the neck 
has a deep red, like a waddle of a turkey, and then its face is Braveheart blue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is a true and correct statement. And uh, and the 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 eggs that it lays are, are like a deep, like a Sour Patch Kids green, I'm going to say. If, there if you if go. We keep naming other things for... <laughs> Um, but this thing doesn't turn sweet ever. So the the cassowary is uh, a very vibrant and it's a very clear representative of a modern theropod. So the same group of the the avian dinosaurs. So the things, relatives of T. Rex that came up through the Manoraptora. So the 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 the, the raptors that we think of up through these terror birds up to modern birds, the para aves and the aves. This is in the same family tree as everybody's favorite dinosaurs. And so it's really cool to see that this uh, is is alive and just wreaking havoc. Absolutely. And and I'll shout out my friend, Andrew, who's an attorney as well. When we were studying for the bar, we all gave each other like spirit animals. And because he had spiky hair and he kept kind of to himself, but you knew <laughs> that guy had that trigger, you know? I was like, you're a cassowary. And he was like, this is stupid. It's a bird. And I was like, here, just watch watch the guy with the tabletop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like being proven right a decade later. Oh, my God. Have I been an attorney for that long? Anyway. Um, I <laughs> like that comment stricken for the record? Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely feel I feel uh, like I'm from the late Cretaceous with that statement. Hey, yo. There you go. Topical. Now, that's all of the dinosaurs that we have at this juncture, right? Jake. That is our entire list. We thought about bringing in the hummingbird because from far away, that animal or that dinosaur is pretty cute and cuddly. But when you get up close, that's a mouthful of terrifying teeth you got right there. <laughs> Imagine a hummingbird the size of a Quetzalcoatlus. Suddenly, that animal isn't oh, so cute anymore. Yeah, Quetzalcoatlus. Because I, I had told uh, Stephen Bellatini that the the scene in It where there's the giant bird. I don't care. The giant bird, when I replaced it with Quetzalcoatlus, that was the scariest scene in that whole damn book. <laughs> you just lock me in a goddamn refrigerator with a bunch of bugs. I'm fine. No, with the big thing. Uh, so the reason I, I want to get to this point is because I love your passion. And I love about your show. We had talked about making things accessible to people. And I'd be remiss if we only talked about the subject matter and not the mechanism with which you educate people and inform and embrace people. Because that's the the charm of your show. Can you talk about however long winded you want to be? Just the passion that you have and your show. Absolutely. Go for it, Jimmy. Uh, I, I'd be happy to. Before I, I, there's always one more thing, but Jake, as I was saying before, there's always another door. Oh. So kind of in the same uh, conversation that we were having about the cassowary, and then I will step, absolutely come back to what we were talking about before. But I love it. In the same vein as our story about the cassowary with its confirmed kill count, I need to tell you the legend of Australia versus the dinosaurs. Oh, I'm into this. <laughs> I wish I had popcorn. I'm very upset with myself. I should have planned ahead. It was, it was 1923, <laughs> and the population of emus, the second largest bird in the world, and a dinosaur, can't be understated, uh, were, they were, their population was booming, and farmers were looking for ways to get that population under control. They were trying everything with the animal husbandry back in the early 20s was not where we are today. So they just said, well, we're just trying to shoot them. Can, uh, can you please send some military support to help us get rid of all these birds because we can't handle it? And so they sent out three tough soldiers 
with automatic weapons, like, like big uh, mounted machine guns. Uh, these are Lewis cannons, the kind of things that they would have mounted on, on tanks. Or Ted Nugent's car. <laughs> with 10,000 rounds of ammunition. And these things shot 600 rounds a minute. And they just tried to open fire. And the emus didn't care. Like wow. they didn't flinch. They ended up <laughs> killing about 12 birds, 12. They went through 10,000 rounds of ammunition. It was exactly like that scene in Predator. Nope. When they're just shooting into the jungle and they hit nothing. Except it was Australia where everything's trying to kill you. Yeah. And they sure. were fighting dinosaurs. Can confirm. And so, <laughs> and so the battle raged on for a couple of days. They brought out more soldiers and they brought out more ammunition. And then they noticed that the emus were smart. There were some emus that were like the, the infantry emus. And there were others <laughs> that were like general emus because they would stay back and they would assess the situation. And if they noticed that there were more people coming over here, they could alert the rest. And then the rest of the emus would retreat. And then these general emus would stay there until the rest of the herd left. And then they would try to sell car insurance, but then they would leave after that. And so eventually the government of Australia said, yeah, this isn't working. Pull everything back. So Australia is the only country in the world that has ever gone to war against dinosaurs and they lost. (laughs) I was not prepared to have my perception of reality shifted that drastically today. I'm going to tell you right now. That was pretty incredible. (laughs) I am shocked. So ask me about what I'm passionate about again. (laughs) That's incredible. And it's true. That's the thing that makes it even weirder and scarier and more terrible. Like what? Yeah, man. These are the people who are like, they have buoy knives that they use to pick their teeth and they shake hands with crocodiles and they lost to birds that were dinosaurs. They got great white sharks in the ocean. They got saltwater crocodiles from the ocean to the land. They've got snakes and spiders with the deadliest venom in the, and uh, across the entire country. Oh, yeah. The birds are trying to kill, but the birds scare you. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't flinch at anything else except that. And drop bears. That's another yeah. one. Oh, yes. Drop bears. Very serious. I have been to Australia. I have heard the story. So amazing. Yes. And I have seen a cassowary in the wild, actually. And it was a horrifying experience. So don't mess with birds in Australia. And I'll leave it there. Well, I, I think <laughs> I don't know if I've actually told this full story on the show. And I think that was an appropriate time. I was once walking with my dog and a just ridiculous amount of luggage into a hotel. And I was chased by a goose. It was the hardest instance of my life because I've been vegan by this point for over a decade. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have to sit there and go, do I even try to kick this fucking goose in the neck? Is it worth it? Will it hurt me? And all of this rushing through. So somewhere there is security footage of my dumb ass dragging my Jack Russell, who thinks she's going to fight this goose to the bitter end (laughs) like it's Mecha Godzilla. And yeah. I'm dragging her through a hotel lobby, scuttling along. Uh, probably. Save yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's insane. Don't mess with geese, man. Oh, my God. We have a huge goose problem in Canada, and they are mean. They are so mean. I have been attacked by a goose probably about six times in my life, and one of which was on a bicycle. What? You do not mess with geese. 
This is why Canadians. They will, they will hurt you. Government issue. They give you a hockey stick, right? Because it's the same game as soccer, except it's at a distance. So now you have an extra appendage when the goose comes. Yeah. See, we're kind of like Australia, except for our killer animals are larger and uh, much more aggressive. Yeah. And what's funny is I'm they in have Florida. Like this- Ours are all on meth. Yeah. Well, like, you look at like a moose, for instance. Moose murder people with feet, and they don't tower above them like an al- any brachiosaur. Uh, yeah, it blows my mind to think that like how just foolhardy we're like, yeah, sure. No, I got this. Uh, like, imagine if you tried to even get an ankylosaur's attention. How do you, you just flick it? It won't feel that. <laughs> Throw a big rock at it. It won't feel that. You can't even get its attention. How are you supposed to fight it to the death? You flip it onto its belly. It. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's how you get it. I think That's the only way that you win there yeah, is you just give it scratches and scratches and tickles and treats and then hope that it just becomes your little buddy because otherwise you're just doomed. That's the only way to win is to to convert it to your side. Just make it your friend. That's the only chance you got. Our our next episode that we're actually going to be unveiling is all about ankylosaurs. Uh, we actually got a chance yep. to speak with Dr. Caleb Brown, who is the curator of uh, dinosaur paleontology and evolutionary phylogenetics uh, at the Royal Tyrell Museum. And uh, this is something that, well, Kat, go ahead. I mean, I, I'm not going to steal any of this thunder. <laughs> yeah. So we interviewed Dr. Caleb Brown and it was amazing. And he told us all the interesting information about Borealopelta, which was a dinosaur that was discovered where it shouldn't be, have been discovered. It was discovered in what used to be a seaway. So this animal floated out into the ocean on its back and then exploded in the middle of the ocean Rotten and then meat fell guts. down. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it was so heavy that it exploded on the bottom of the ocean and wrapped itself up and protected it and became the best preserved dinosaur that we know of ever discovered. And so we get into details about that dinosaur, its discovery and all the science behind that. So I'm really excited for the release of that one. Well, and, and it's coming real soon too. The sea is such a wealth of information, you know, I, that's one of the things I always loved about movies like Abyss. You, know, you look out towards the stars and it's like, yeah, there's I'm sure there's interesting shit in the stars. If you can stay in hypersleep for a million years, we'll get there. Or you could turn around, get in a little submarine with the Beatles and go straight down to Terror Zone. <laughs> Never know what you're going to find down there. I mean, in Greenland, they found a shark that was 400 years old. So that exists. <laughs> and then there's the Meg. Which is totally still alive. I absolutely. If you, if people are allowed to believe in Bigfoot, I'm allowed to believe that somewhere the Meg is down there, just waiting till for dramatic effect, and it's going to come out one of these days and just makes <laughs> make spring break real interesting. <laughs> make fun of that movie as much as you want. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. That that is a gem of a movie. It is so good. It's really good. I th- I think it's one of the it's one of the the, the uh, best analogs for a true Jaws sequel in the modern age. Yeah. From the from the the monster side of it, the Meg fills in like like it's a continuation of what Jaws three wanted to be. I think the Meg is what Jaws three D was trying to do. Yeah. Because it had that undersea research, and they're like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing creature. We've got a small one, then we have got a big one, and look at this thing. And so like that's Jaws three done well. Absolutely right. <laughs> Or deep blue sea done better. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you get any better than LLG Cool J stabbing somebody in the eye with a crucifix. I mean, that's uh, that's the way that The Exorcist should have ended, Isn't in my it? opinion. Jake, 
The perfect omelet is made with three eggs, not two. Many people will try to add milk. This is a mistake. <laughs> and the damn bird, which is a dinosaur. I know. Right? I so know. we brought it around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is this is why we do what we do. This is the kind of stuff that we're really passionate about. Kat and I actually met through a giveaway that she was doing on Instagram um, because she has been growing her page and, and reaching out to so many people across the paleo community and just building up a really strong community. Yeah. I, I was talking to, I was talking to him about this before we, we got on live and yeah, we started with a giveaway and it was basically because I had a bunch of art and stickers and things that I thought were really awesome, but people didn't know much about these artists. So I wanted to try and become a pedestal or a platform for these individuals to talk about themselves. It wasn't really about me getting followers. It was about bringing to light all of these incredible people. Yeah. And through that, I met all of these really incredible people. And we started a group called the Paleo Pals. And Paleo Pals has grown into, it's, it's grown almost considerably and uncontrollably into this group of paleontologists and paleo entrepreneurs as jimmy likes to call them <laughs> and artists and creators and it's just been so such a magical experience getting all these people together in one space and we're doing a giveaway right now and there's 25 people in this giveaway and each every single one of them is a close personal friend of ours now because of all of this stuff that we've been doing and how wonderful the paleontology community is and the paleo community is yeah we I am just so grateful for all of the people that I met. And I met Jimmy through this community and we hit it off and we basically found out that we're the same person. So <laughs> identical situations. I won't say which. <laughs> He's the male version of me and we just, we resonate with each other and we both have a huge passion for dinosaurs and science. And I've always wanted to talk about dinosaurs and I've always wanted a platform to be able to do that. So I have that now. And it's, it's always really heartwarming when I get messages from young girls going, Oh my gosh, you're I'm fangirling that you're reaching out to me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just a lady that talks about dinosaurs. You guys have the ability to be the future. And yeah. it's super, super important for girls and young women in science to follow their passions. And that's what I wholeheartedly believe with the dinosaurs will always be awesome podcast. Yeah, I actually, I just interviewed the dino geek, uh, Tony Campagna, and we mm -hmm. were talking about oh, how nice. disgusting it is that like search terms and metadata are so slanted when it comes to dinosaurs in favor of boys. You know, he talked right. about openly, like, like, if you want to find good dinosaur toys, a lot of times you search eBay for boy toys, and that's one of the best ways to do it. And, you know, as the father of a young daughter, you know, a lot of people think that I'm sitting there like whispering in her ear at night, like, you want Ankylosaurus, Amargosaurus. No, she likes this. I'm going to facilitate. She likes bugs too. And, you know, another thing where some, like, now that I have a son, I have people be like, oh, well, this is, here's your son's grasshopper toy. Um, No, it's actually my daughter's. And she's the one who picked it out. And it, it's so important to me as, you know, even, not even just as a father, not even just as a mm -hmm. husband or as a son. If there's a disparity there, I don't think it's fair. And I think that very often you hear any kind of feminist ideals couched in terms of like, oh, well, you know, uh, because of their relation to me. No, because objectively you're a human being, you have a lot to bring. And I think that in a, a an area like paleontology, where so much is forensic in nature and extrapolating, 
having a different perspective is incredibly important. Right. You know, people process things differently. Your life experiences would make you process things differently. And so your perspective of the same bone might be entirely different than mine. And it might not be either of those things. But the fact that we can have that substantive exchange, I think, gets us closer to the truth of it all, right? And I believe that this is definitely yeah. something where this is this is changing for the better as we speak. Yeah. You know, uh, I I am beyond elated that Kat has agreed to be part of this the show with me, and and when it comes down to being part, we're actually we're full partners in this. So she has episode ideas, she has all the contributions. There's everything we're doing this equally across the board, and I'm really happy that when we look at some of the like the analytical side of things. Uh, and, and sort of the, the metrics of how our show is working. You know, we are on YouTube. We're on all the major podcasting networks. We're on iHeartRadio now, which is awesome. Uh, and then we're through Anchor and everything else. And our audience is 57% female and 13% non-binary. That's amazing. And so, and then when we also look at things, a lot of our audience, like you know, 35% of our audience is 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 made up of the BIPOC community, which in my terms is badass intelligent paleontologists of color. And they are just so they're 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 catching into this because we want to give people yeah. the the stories. Our shows are not, hey, today we're gonna talk about Brachiosaurus. Yeah. Our shows are let's talk to this person who has made this discovery or has learned about this and what is their favorite dinosaur and where did they start? Because if you see where these people who are names that you know or have heard of, where they are now and where they started, you're going to see that your story matches up a lot. Yeah. So many of the people I spoke to, we all have the same origin story. Uh, was like, well, when I was a kid, I went to the American Museum of Natural History and I looked at the T-Rex and I was stuck. And I'm like, oh my God, you too? Me? All right. Yeah. Oh, all of us. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and and those, those, those formative moments as kids that we all have. And so many people feel like there's a certain time for it. And then there's a time for putting away of childish things and having cat here to help show the world that dinosaurs are not a childish thing. No. And we had talked about it too. Like it yeah, being and that dinosaurs just, are for everyone. That's exactly the I'm point. I'm sorry. I said, no. um, <laughs> we're making yeah, the same and point. Dinosaurs really are for everyone. Cause we had talked about like the formation of paleontological science is based on basically two dudes trying to one-up each other with disposable right. income. It's all very anecdotal. Yeah. It didn't really have any consequence in real world. And so that that's come from a very privileged position to be able to do that. If you're not living hand to mouth, you can do those things. But when mm -hmm. you're, you have such a dire financial situation or socioeconomic situation, or you're just the, based on the color of your skin, confronting discrimination in terms of even access to information, you know, within the last hundred years, People of color couldn't just go to a library. And so the great right. thing about the internet is, like we said, everybody, whether you have a PhD or a GED, gets to the same you know, article through the same URL. So yeah. where can my audience become your audience? Well, first off, if you've if you've stuck with us to the conversation this far, I, I'm over the moon. And I'm very, very appreciative of everyone who's who's enjoyed everything we've talked about so far. Uh, our show is called Dinosaurs Will Always Be Awesome. And we're on uh, all the major podcast networks. And you can uh, you can check out our website at dwaba.org, the D-W-A-B-A dot org. And uh, our, our episodes are all done in a combination of an audio and a video component. So if you want to listen in. Catch us on your favorite podcast. If you want to get the full experience, come check us out on our YouTube as well.
And you can also follow both Jamie and I on Instagram, and we do have a Twitter as well. And I'm Catheronodon, and Jimmy is the Dinosaur Podcast. That's right. How on earth at did you manage the Dinosaur Podcast? Well, it's actually, it's at right. Dinosaur Podcast. <laughs> it's at Dinosaur at Podcast. Come dinosaur see me. Yeah. <laughs> and for ease of access, I'll put all of the links in the episode description. So if you're too lazy to go unearth this, you don't need a chisel. You don't need a brush. You can just literally use the thumb that you use to press play on the episode. And boom, you're there. But I'd like to say thank you both for coming on. I'm sure that getting a, you know, a weird message from some guy in your inbox who's like, I'm sorry, this guy says fuck way too much to be smart uh, <laughs> and offer it. Everybody who I've talked to about doing this is through the moon. And I think that you're really going to resonate with our audience. And if, you know, I'll say this. If you let Cat uh, and Jimmy know that you found them through us, They'll let me know. I'll send you a free Patreon bonus episode just to say thank you for supporting my friends because I'm I'm over the moon with how much effort you put into this. And it's truly rather humbling, if I may be honest. We were absolutely ecstatic to join you. I I think it's kind of cool talking about dinosaurs and the angle of horror and most horrifying. So it was fun doing the research for this. And Jimmy and I have just been ecstatic since you reached out. So thank you. It's all we've been talking about. This has been such a great opportunity, Jake. I'm I'm so glad that you had us on, and uh, this was a real blast. And I, I hope we can get back in and talk about this cool stuff again. Literally, anytime you want to. If you bring slides, <laughs> you can bring slides about anything from the Great Canadian Bake Off to whatever, and I'll let you just steal my show because this was <laughs> this was a thrill. So thank you both very much for making yourselves available. Then uh, I'm ending the interview now. What do you think? Do you think that they've picked out the appropriately scary dinosaur? Please support our friends at Dinosaurs Will Always Be Awesome. I recently purchased a shirt, the Spinosaurus variant of their logo, and inscribed on the tag was a question posited to me saying, Jake, how about a one-minute review of Carnosaur 1993? Jimmy, Cat, I like you guys a lot. I dare say I love you in a completely platonic way in a paleontological pals way, I'm going to do you five better, four better. Math's hard. We're going to do next week, Carnosaur, Carnosaur 2, 3, the blah, 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 Raptor, and the Eden Formula, all five Carnosaurus films, and we will be featuring an interview from the Dino Geek. That's right, my friend Tony, who has the biggest collection of dinosaur toys and memorabilia in recorded history, I think. So, Sierra, was this a success? I enjoyed it. You're welcome back in Alien Month and whenever else you want to be on. <laughs> if you ever just can't sleep one night, just let me know. I'll pull out this microphone recorder because I certainly can't be pulling out something else because it's bruised and wounded. And we can record anytime. You're the most requested person. You know who the second most requested guest is? Your dad. <laughs> Remember that we, I did the cell with him last summer. It's oh, he's almost been a year since he was last on. Has it been that long? Really? <laughs> this time is just slipping through my fingers. Yes. Before you know it, 65 million years will have passed. <laughs> and, a, and a fossil of this MP3 will only be what's left of us. <laughs> oh, no. Well, if that's all that's left, I guess. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, we have three new d dinosaur designs. Arguably, one of them isn't a dinosaur. It's a synapsid, but whatever. Uh, on our redbubble.com. I got it right. 
you could be a Patreon patron. And all the money that you give us goes directly to me buying novelizations of books that came out 30 years ago that are hard to find. And <laughs> what I've always wanted to do is write the novelization of Jurassic Park 30 years later when it was based on a book. But uh, you could you could help finance that. You could also <laughs> uh, help us finance like advertising so that next week's episode, if it gets a thousand downloads, I will do an entire audiobook of a 200 plus page novel for free. And launch another hobby. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I'm not. I'm, that's certain. I hate the sound of my voice as is. So if it was just me with nobody to bounce off of, that's not happening. So this is a very special thing. So tell all of your dumb friends about our dumb podcast, especially the dumb episode about the dumb film franchise that beat Jurassic Park to theaters. My name is Jake for my beautiful wife, who is very tolerant and I appreciate greatly. Sierra, my, uh, goodbye. Good day. Oh, is you say your slash? Say your say yours. I miss it. I don't get to hear it very often. <laughs> slash you later. Goodbye and good day. So I think it is safe to say that your humble host of Hidden Tracks Cyber Slash One Thousand, the sentient slimeball you tune in every week to enjoy, is a little bit high strung. I found this band, Dorga, and I feel relaxed like never before. I'm not even going to say anything obscene about your dad's anus. This song is called Roots, and I legitimately feel like it is growing tendrils in my robowers, just like the roots of some gnarly old tree. Please support these guys at the links in the episode description. I may just kick it right here until next week. Peace. Que creímos cierto El tiempo